everybody. Welcome back to the Den of Sin with Devin and James. I'm Devin Lucas, and uh, here with me always is my co-host James Dufresne to talk about all things movie. How you doing, James? I'm doing okay. Just uh, I'm excited because we have once again we haven't we haven't uh, been together on this podcast for a little while. So excited! This is a very fun episode, uh, especially you know all things considered with our. Well, I'll let you. <laughs> well, yeah, we we didn't get quite back on the ball as quick as we wanted to but uh we certainly didn't wait a whole season again uh, no yeah <laughs> but uh you know uh it's literally three days away i think from the end of summer so we're getting this in just in time this was planned by me anyways to have been you know something we did like around july 4th or something uh but you know life gets in the way but we're going to do it now and so anyone who's listening to this is a new episode. This is why you're hearing this uh, this episode so late in the summer. And for anyone that's listening in the future, it doesn't really matter because it can be any time of year. But our topic today is specifically the summer of 1982 because there's just too many damn movies from 1982 to talk about. It would have to be a five-hour cycle. Literally, there's too many summer movies from 1982 yeah. to talk about. Uh, which we'll get into, but yeah, what a what a crazy year for film. Exactly, and uh, there's so many films that we've we've had to call in some help. So uh, That's right. we've we brought in Casey O'Connor, our old friend. Casey's back in the den. How you doing, Casey? I'm good, guys. How's everything going? Pretty Great. good. This is where we'll add in post some uh, audience clapping noise, right? Yes, our special guest. <laughs> anyway, hello everyone. Good to be back. <laughs> good to have you back, Casey. Thank you. So we were all around in the summer of 82. I was a little younger than you guys, but I actually do have uh, vivid memories of, of 1982, as, as I'm sure you guys do as well. I suppose let's just get the, uh, the big one out of the way, because this was the number one movie of the year, and it happens to be my biggest memory of 1982. And uh, that was going to the movies to see E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Uh, what do you guys remember of seeing E.T.? Um, that was huge. Yeah, it was it was a big deal. Um, I remember so the earliest memories I have of going to the movies is like around this time, like 81, 82. The earliest thing I remember is I don't know if it was the very first thing I saw, but was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm -hmm. It could have been 81 or whatever, but um it was also released this year, so re-released in 82. So I don't I don't remember which year I saw it. But, yeah, I um, noticed that Raiders and uh <clears throat> Star Wars actual star wars were released in 82 yeah and so like you know the boulder scene you know i was because i was a basically like you know four or something at this point and i just remember seeing that and like freaking out and being like i leaned over to my mom like i don't think i'm gonna like this because it was just so <laughs> intense you know because you don't see that kind of thing on tv like a, when you're a kid so from that point on is like when i started remembering stuff i saw and um, E.T. was one of the early ones, too. And the biggest thing I remember about it is that it scared the living shit out of me. <laughs> There's that scene early on where Elliot goes looking through the bushes to, to see what the rustling is or whatever. And then, you know, you see him and like, with those like, you know, brown Cheeto fingers and <laughs> eyes and fucking teeth. And I'm just like, oh my dear god and like just like <laughs> bossed it i was just like ah and then like as the movie went on obviously he became cuter and you warmed up to him but like 
goddamn early on that thing like just scared the living piss out of me and then yeah you know it, it was a classic everybody loved it everybody thought how cute et was thought their relationship was great and the visuals and yeah, I mean, it was it was groundbreaking in that it was, you know, family friendly sci fi movie. You know, um, it was like, you know, Star Wars, but with a kind like you know, for an even younger crowd, you know, there's no uh, lightsabers cutting off dudes arms. Um, <laughs> at least not that I remember. I know later on there was flashlights instead of guns, though, which uh, that was Yoda was in it, too, though. Well, it's see, okay. I remember. <laughs> that. Yes. I distinctly remember memory. saying, I have that when I was a kid. <laughs> First off, uh, and this is weirdly relevant to just my cur- even current life. I, the, my main re- my main memory of, of E.T. will always be that we were in a store and they had that. To me, it's an iconic toy of the 80s, but it was that brown beanbag little E.T. I Not the, that. But just the cute little, <clears throat> and my parents didn't buy it for me. And I remember being, uh, I still carry the disappointment uh, to this day. Uh <laughs> With the okay. lifeless doll's eyes. Yeah, exactly. With just a little, yeah, exactly, little black eyes. Was cute. this the but, one um, that had the weird, like, plastic skin on it? Yeah, it was like, like a beanbag. It was like this. Yes. It was almost like a, yeah. yeah. I yeah. was going to bring still, that up, too, because that and the thing, heart, the heart light was literally a red circle on the chest painted yes. on. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I had that, and I remember the skin started to come off. Started to peel, <laughs> yep. You eventually started to look like a, a potato stuffed in like my mom's <laughs> nylon stocking, you know. You mean like the actual uh, <laughs> weird potato alien? And then I remember, and this is where I think nerddom, my the nerddom runs so deep that I still remember the scene where he sees the kid dressed as Yoda, and I was like, "We're getting across the, the multiverse. It's all one connected universe." Like ET exists for some reason as a child that excited my mind. Uh, they're acknowledging Star Wars. I don't know. Why, I forgot I just... he sees Yoda at Halloween. I was thinking of when Elliot is playing with Star Wars, Wars action figures. Yep. Yeah. yeah, which is very yes. Which again, Reese's pieces and Star Wars action figures. Um, well, to this day, I can you know there's in Princess Bride in the background. There's a bunch of He-Man figures. I that, I have all of these weird memories of different action figures <laughs> and toys being in background scenes, or just when movies acknowledge other properties, which was big, you know, uh, in the eighties with. I mean, Spielberg movies did a lot, but um, but yeah, I I loved it as a kid, and I will say when Spielberg re-released it, it was a, probably the first time I'd seen it in years, and I remember being disappointed, like thinking that it was actually kind of a boring movie. Now I don't know if it was because of I I don't know how simple-minded that how much it would affect me by not seeing guns and seeing flashlights instead, and that whole controversy of Spielberg neutering an already pretty neutered movie, but um. But I remember being kind of disappointed by it. And, you know, everybody I know, my family, everybody I know loves it, loves E.T., but I feel like I probably need to rewatch it because the last time I watched it kind of left this sort of a bad taste in my mouth. But uh, but still, obviously, a legendary film that's super important to us as our as our generation. I tried to show it to my stepdaughter once, and she couldn't get past the scene that Casey was talking about. <laughs> uh, my wife was just like, uh, her mom was just like, uh, you know, if she's reacting this way, let's just turn it off. It's like a 40-year-old movie. Uh, <laughs> so Actually, I never got to finish E.T., and I still plan to. I haven't seen it myself in quite a while. I have it on 4K so that I could show it to her. Um, but that scene definitely got to me as a kid, too. So I, I get it. See, I, I think remember... more traumatizing is the scene where, and it still traumatizes me, when the when all of a sudden the, the guys in the white suits show up and they, like, 
ET's strapped down and he's like in pain, like that's traumatizing. That's a, like a very first of the it's an intense scene that you know it's it's done almost like a surprise too. But watching ET like it was just it's very it was, disturbing as a movie. Like I think it was a, a part of what made me anti-establishment. Yes, up. same. Like I I literally have credited ET before for making me mistrust government agencies. One hundred percent because of I, that. I feel that. Here's my question regarding that scene. Is there an actual law that says NASA can come in and just commandeer your house? Because <laughs> I watched it again recently, like, and I hadn't watched it in a long time. And we we're watching it, and my wife looks over and like said that to me, and I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> like, was it NASA? Or was weird. it the NSA? No, but like they literally had NASA patches on their <laughs> stuff, and it was like, "Can they?" There's do a secret. That? Gestapo wing of the uh, NASA. Yeah, so that was funny. No, guys, I think it's legit because Alf had the same worries too. Oh, no, it's true. Okay. And Alf was really truth to power. It's um, absolutely. <laughs> but watching it, watching it now, like I mean, it's still a great film. And like now that I'm older, like it actually, you know, the ending and stuff like kind of touches me and makes me a little weepier than it did when I was a kid. Um, yeah, the last time I teared up, for sure. I don't know if I teared up as a kid. I yeah, sad, yeah, but but it's for sure not my favorite Spielberg film. Like no. I think of all the ones that are were huge for him and stuff. Like it's not my favorite one that like you know like I obviously I like like Jaws and you know Raiders and stuff way more than I like ET. But I mean, it deserves all the kudos. It deserves all the success. It deserves all you know the legacy that it has. But yeah, it's it's as as an older person now, it's not one I'm going to be like, man, I'm really in a mood to watch E.T. Yeah, I'm very rarely in the mood for it. And uh, there, there are definitely Spielberg movies that I get in the mood for. I, I think you're I, I've seen it. Uh, I want to say maybe 10 years ago ish was probably the last time I saw it. And it still packs a wall up in terms of, you know, just enjoyability. But it's just not it's not something I'm ever in the mood for. But also on a personal level, it's the first movie I ever saw twice in the theaters, which uh, started, you know, something for me. Like that yeah. became my mark of like, well, if I really love it, I've got to see it at least twice in the theater, uh, which kind of went through my teenage years and everything. But uh, I remember going to see it the first time and being freaked out at that scene when E.T. screams when they first find him or when Elliot first finds him. And then I remember really wanting to take my mom to go see it because my dad had taken me to go see it it was just me and him and so we all went to go see it together at the drive-in and i don't remember a lot about that screening except for i remember sitting in the back seat of my dad's car with my fingers stuck into my ears when that scene was coming up and i remember trying to tell my mom like don't look at me look at what's about to happen <laughs> like <laughs> like ignore the child plugging his ears so, n nothing bad's about to happen it's fine <laughs> <laughs> I love the, it. the uh the first i just thought of regarding et for me was that was kind of the first movie where the merchandise and stuff was something i was into that like wasn't handed down from my brothers oh. so it's like i had star wars toys and stuff but it was mostly from the first movie in empire and it was like their shit initially and um, but ET was like the first time I remember like going to Mervin's like after the movie, and like there was an iron on shirt there that I bought with like ET's head sticking out the closet door or whatever. Dude, and I then, had uh, that one too. It had like I remember smelling the iron on, like there were the, the like sparkly ones, they had yeah, a yeah, smell. that was it. And like, um, 
I, I remember there was a, there was a promotion where I think it was like at Ralph's or something where it's like, if you bought one or two, two liters of like Pepsi, you got the fucking soundtrack on vinyl for free. And so like, that's right. My I mom, totally remember that. My mom did it. So I could have the vinyl and like, I played the shit out of that soundtrack. Like it was, I wish they had promotions <laughs> like that now. <laughs> Before we move on to the next film, I do have to say one of, I think the, if we can take a moment to talk about very quickly the ET ride at Universal Studios, I was just going to, yeah, I and were you there? Yeah, exactly, exactly. With all the great, all the best things about Universal Studios is all RIP, unfortunately. But um, but I don't know if you were able to experience when they still had it because it didn't last long. But when ET at the end of the ride would say your name, you gave him like a card and it would say your name. He did and it always sounded like a fucking Devin fart his... through a drive-through speaker. <laughs> <laughs> he did not have Devin in his files, so I got goodbye, friend. Friend, yep, yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, I don't remember him saying Casey either. I went on that ride once, I think. I had passes to Universal in the late 90s, and that was, I mean, sometimes that was the first thing I want to go on. I'm like, okay, guys, let's go to ET first, um, just because I love that ride. I mean, by then I was already a stoner, and uh, there's a lot of uh, stony things going on. In that it run. smelled like, like pine in there, right? Yeah, and, and point. part of it takes place in like the, the woods, and you're you're yeah. in ET's, um, or you're on Elliot's bike, and ET's in front of you. And I can't remember if he actually his head actually comes up out of the basket or not. Maybe he did originally, but it, I remember the ride that it is probably its closest spiritual cousin, so to speak, is uh, the Peter Pan ride at Disneyland. Yeah. Um, so you got to like what once the bikes were airborne you got to go over the city and it's really interesting. Like, yeah. yeah and uh that was definitely good for a uh, young stoner me um of course <laughs> one of my favorite things uh mm -hmm. i remember i i can't remember the name of it introduced the character of et's like uh i, I don't even know it, it was like a sage some old sage uh wise alien that like introduces you on the ride that like uh you know he's he's in the waiting queue area uh, i can't remember what his name was but i i definitely remember talking about wanting to make a bong shaped like him so that's that's where my head was at at that point in time <laughs> <laughs> sounds as magical as the movie <laughs> yeah, well i had it all set out because you know i was really inventive at that point in time where the bowl would be in his fingertip He's like reaching out and you light that and then, you know, the, the <laughs> belly would light up or the belly would be like uh, clear red plastic or something. I don't know. It was it was brilliant at the time. Let me tell you. You just really wanted to fucking fly your bike to the moon. That's really you wanted to get. I, I really get I really did. And I think I could have done that had I ever found C. Thomas Howell at that age. <laughs> um, I'm sure he could have gotten me to the moon. One, one last thing I want to bring up about E.T. is even though it's not like it wasn't officially tied to it is something I heard recently that I hadn't heard in years. And I'd kind of forgotten about was Neil Diamond's song, Heartlight, <laughs> yes. which is, was straight up. He like came out like after the movie and it's literally the lyrics are basically describing the movie. And I was just like, <laughs> I never thought about that. And, oh, I'm yeah. Like, yeah. and I'm just like, now I want to do like a fucking alien horror film and the ends, the end credits play fucking Heartlight. Oh, that would be perfect. It. Yeah. Like, I'm all about it because I remember that was another one. My every time it was on, I tell my dad, "ET song, turn it up, turn it up." Yeah, and it wasn't in the film. It wasn't like he wasn't commissioned to make it. It's just like 
Hey, he Chris, I scared. saw this film and here's my new song. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he was moved. Yeah. That was a so, fa- fa- fairly accurate Daniel Diamond impression. I'm kind well, of thank you. And so, uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's that's the kind of impression that E.T. had on on the cultural zeitgeist in 1982 for those who weren't there. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, you know, I, we've, I think we've talked about it, if not every time, uh, close to every time that we've had Casey on, somehow this movie ends up coming up. So I'm just going to casually just drop the name here because you can't talk about E.T. without mentioning Another. how much it uh, had an effect on the release of John Carpenter's It's Bizarro thing. Cousin. Yeah, exactly. That, that's perfect. Bizarro Cousin, the thing. Uh, and and uh, what a weird, bizarre miscalculation on Universal Studios' behalf on releasing those things so close together to begin with. Because you can say, oh, well, they just couldn't compete, but they came from the same studio. The same people were excited about both of these releases. Why weren't, I don't know, why weren't they thinking of it? <laughs> yeah, because especially like, I mean, whether they knew how big E.T. was going to do or not, it was still a Spielberg film and it was still a big movie. And like, they knew it was going to be big business. So yeah, it is weird that they only gave it like a two week window before they dropped the thing. Like were they, was somebody there trying to pit them against each other to, I don't know. Like I, I would love to be a fly in the wall in that executive office at that point in time, or were they delusional enough to think that uh, the world would be in the mood to watch a shape-shifting, murderous, uh, apocalypse-causing alien maybe, right after we sent the other one home. Maybe exactly. They, maybe they thought it was going to be like the opposite, where they're like, people are going to bitch about this cute-ass alien that they want to see one that like <laughs> just fucking does crazy violent shit. But that was not the case. We don't no. have to go into the thing again. We've talked about it a lot. It's you know one of the most influential films ever made, one of the greatest science fiction horror films ever made. One thing, I, I, and I think we might have even talked about this on a previous episode as well. But you know, we're talking about the summer specifically of '82, which is loaded with huge, you know, memorable films. And you know, we it's I think it's common belief that you know the thing was notoriously uh, a flop. Uh, definitely, definitely critically. Um, uh, it All wasn't around critics and yeah. audiences were yeah, just the like fans hated it but, yeah um, and which is which again in hindsight is bananas but it had to be devastating still, it still was the 18th highest grossing summer film of that year and there are huge huge movies that weren't as profitable which is crazy to me now i don't know if like when i look at the box office you know if it's if it this is including like a modern or you know if th- this includes but even even it with that it's higher than it made more money than a film I know we're going to talk about very soon that we already mentioned, and so it's just it's weird. I don't know. It just it's, it seems bizarre. It made more money than Six Pack. That's all. I <laughs> <laughs> and I think Six Pack was what taught me the word shit. There was that kid that keeps on saying shit, and I was quoting that kid. And my mom was like, "It's not a nice word." Like, Damn you, Kenny, Kenny Rogers! Rogers look what you did to my kid. <laughs> Well, my folks had Kenny Rogers album. So Kenny Rogers was like part of my life uh, before he even roasted chicken uh, professionally. So weirdly, weirdly, and I might have mentioned this before, the first girl who was like a neighbor girl who I had a huge crush on, uh, her two crushes were Kenny Rogers and Hulk Hogan, which is is really your dream girl. uh, Exactly. Very bizarre, Uh, which is weird because Hulk Hogan is uh, also... 
going to probably come up at some point tonight, uh, which yeah. I feel like Hulk Hogan comes up all the time. She liked the, <laughs> she liked them bushy mustaches. Huh? I know, right? She definitely. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think maybe curious. Uh, I remember. Her, anyways, let's not. I don't want to delve too deep into her psychology. But anyways. Um, <laughs> But anyway, yeah, I mean, the thing's been covered. It's it's a classic. It's my favorite John Carpenter film. It's easily oh. one of the best examples of practical effects. Yes. Still um, to this not, day. Yeah, not just for that time, just in in the history of film. Yeah. Like, you know, what's on the screen was what was made and what was shot, and it's just insane. I think, I, think I, you know, I, you know, not to be overly hyperbolic, but I truly consider it one of the, a very few handful of perfect movies yeah. where I can't down to thematically, down to the ending, down to its philosophy, down to the effects, acting, everything. Like it's a, it's like, it is flawless in my opinion. And that's why, again, it's weird to, you know, but you know, uh, hindsight's always twenty twenty. but um, it's definitely, I feel like it, on a loaded list with great films, I would probably say it's probably the best, it's probably the best movie on this, but anyways, I agree. It's probably my favorite horror movie of all time. Uh, but what's heartbreaking is like, I know John Carpenter still harbors issues with it because it sent him, you know, between that and uh, Big Trouble sent him off on a tailspin too. It's uh, which was the next time that he did a major movie with a studio. Uh, but I, I read a thing recently where apparently Guillermo del Toro was talking to John Carpenter and was, um, commenting on the thing as probably everybody that meets john carpenter does and um said something about like well isn't it at least satisfying to know that it's finally getting recognized and then it it has such a huge following and john just looked him right in the face and said well what the fuck good does that do me now (laughs) (laughs) god bless him he keeps it he keeps it 100 as the kids say do the kids still say that I'm 70, so I don't I don't know what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so are we, I think so that's we a few. have no idea if that's what kids say these days. No, I'm not even gonna pretend like I know. But I will say, interesting that we you know we talked about you know it being not beloved or you know not not appreciated, but I feel like there's another movie on this list that I thought was a huge, a huge movie of, of I mean there's lots on this list, but that again, looking at it, I was shocked at how low on the list of profitable movies is. And of course, I'm talking about uh, Megaforce. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, although I do love Megaforce, I love Megaforce too. Um, I've never but- seen Megaforce, and it's always been something I've wanted to see because it's John Badham's the director, right? No, it's uh, How Needham. Uh, or How Needham, sorry, the other yeah. the other stunt dude, Barry Boswick, which is so fucking bizarre yeah like I, re- I remember I, as a kid seeing those posters i remember the vhs box in the store but like i never watched the movie i was so i think before it came out was the most excited I'd ever seen a movie because it was in there was ads in comic books every comic book picked up there was an ad for it it had fucking flying motorcycles and lasers and i thought it's gonna be the greatest movie ever mattel did the uh like design the costumes and, and, and the props and everything it was, and it totally shows yeah <laughs> Uh, unbelievable amount of uh, of male cleavage in that movie. Um, there's even, I think, a line about uh, you can tell man by his chest. But, um, there but yeah, it's not a great movie. Is, it's actually is. really awful. The concept is so bizarre and so 80s. But uh, it's but I unwatchable, do. but in the best possible yeah. way. Like Casey, next time you're coming over, let's watch Megaforce. 
yeah, you, you're gonna. I'll say this though, just for Boswick's hair and beard yes. alone. Yes, his beautiful. That's the thing is like it's a mane, you know, really. Yeah, he's, he looks like one of the Bee Gees, but um. Oh, which Bee is Gees funny because he's on there with uh, Michael Beck, the guy from the Warriors that looked like the Lost Gibbs that's right. brother. That's right. That's true. <laughs> exactly. That's a good point. But I will say this, Casey: if you've seen the trailer, that's as much as you probably ever needed to see. Right. Um. Oh, we, can, of... we can watch it in tribute, though. Rest in peace, Henry Silva. We, I was just about to say you beat oh, me to it. Oh, yeah. shit. Sorry. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> but yeah, that, so we've covered Megaforce, so you're welcome. Yeah, but I'm realizing now that Megaforce was brought up as a joke. So what was the one that you were actually... Sorry we sidetracked, but Megaforce had to be discussed. Now it's off the table. No, no worries. So, <laughs> um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Was, I, I know. Dude, that's my skull. Dude, like, to me, I felt like that was such a huge move. And I don't know if it was because my, obviously I, at five years old, I wasn't, my parents weren't taking me to see fucking Fast Signs of Ridgemont High. But by the time I was 11 or 12, it was like one of those movies like Animal House, which was like, oh, it's one of the best comedies of all time. It's one of the best teen comedies. So I just always considered it like, you know, especially because comedies do well during the summer. And, but I, I guess up against the, you know, the best little whorehouse in Texas beat it out, which to me is insane. Not not on an equality standpoint, but just like out of a cultural impact. Because as great as you know, that you got to look at who's in Best Little Whorehouse, though. I mean, that, no, I know but the biggest movie star of the day was Burt Reynolds, and, and and that's actually and a, Dolly Parton was huge as well, and like yes. and it was. I mean, it was very my my mom loved it. It was the first time. It's when my my infatuation with Dolly Parton started. So like, I get it, but I'm just saying, I just. You know, you never hear anybody bring it up now. I guess that's what that, my point is, is like by today's standards, everybody knows Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Everybody's pretty much everybody I've ever talked to has at least seen it, even if they don't love it or really appreciate it. But how big and how well known is I mean, it's called Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. It doesn't seem like a huge summer, you know, big. Yeah, it, but it was a rated R musical. Yeah, uh, exactly. That, but, but with the look and the high gloss of like a a family extravaganza. I mean, it looked like it no, could yeah. be like a Disney movie in terms yeah. of the look of it. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, 100%. And with Bert and Dolly and like Dom DeLuise, and like the cast was, you know, I wouldn't say a G-rated cast, but a cast that wouldn't be out of place in a G-rated movie necessarily either, you know? Or at least a PG. Uh, at least a PG, yes. Uh, Bert did some dark stuff, you know, in the 60s and early 70s, but, yeah. but by this time, well, I guess... This was around, I think Sharky's Machine came out like December of 81. So it's really kind of, most of its box office was in 82. Um, and that's a pretty rough movie. But yeah, it, Best Little Whorehouse has this weird feel to it. I can't really, really describe it. I own the Blu-ray because it's, because of course I do. Um, and and I still consider it a fun movie. I'm just not sure it's a good movie. It's, it's Well, that's awesome. the thing. It's like, it's not even, it wasn't even, a, because again, like, Burt Reynolds and Dolly Parton could just charm their way through any script. True. Um, they're just so likable and stuff. And especially, you know, if obviously one having the... a secret affair as, as you know, the, the madam of the local whorehouse and the uh, town sheriff. sheriff. And, it, and it's obviously has one of the greatest songs ever recorded by anyone in the history of everything. So um, a very, you know, you know, which is that. So I don't want to get into the who did it better uh, conversation, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a great movie. I'm not taking anything away. I just culturally speaking, by today's standards, you know, uh, I would just have thought there were definitely other movies on this list that I would have thought would have made more money. But uh, right, but 
but Fast Times, I I think to get back on track, Fast Times, I think was one of those movies. I mean, it did well at the box office, but I can imagine it might have done better on VHS. And see, I think that's exactly what I was going to say. I think it was probably one of those very early, you know, because by 82, this was really the height of people actually having home VCRs, um, or at least being able to rent them if they can't afford to buy them. Um, or they and probably about the Phoebe Kate scene and wanted to see it at home. Yeah, absolutely. They wanted to, uh, <laughs> they wanted to reenact that scene and <laughs> see their own home. I wasn't going to quite go there, but, but it's fine. Uh, I actually came to that one late. Um, the first time I saw Fast Times at Ridgemont High was in at Casey's house in high school. And I told you I hadn't seen Fast Times and you were like, oh, well, we're going to fix that right now. <laughs> I, outside so I of Casey a cheap edit, edit maybe, absolutely. I think I was there and I think I had the same experience. <laughs> Laying on the floor of Casey's uh, room surrounded by our friends watching movies was a Anyways, this this isn't nostalgia day, but uh, lots of great memories. Uh, but uh, I remember when Casey and I met Cameron Crowe, and you had your Fast Times copy with you, and still have it. <laughs> it's like have a bitch in summer '97, Cameron Crowe. It's still <laughs> one of my favorite autograph. I mean, it's not even an autograph that I own, obviously, but that's one of my favorite autograph moments of all time. Was that. Cameron Crowe signed your Fast Times VHS having a great time. Well, it was funny too because I remember his reaction because it was right when Jerry Maguire came out and everybody was, you know, all hype on that. And it seemed like that's what everybody was like coming up to him to like congratulate him on. And then here my ass comes with a VHS copy of Fast Times. And I'm like, hey, can you sign this? And he looks at he's like, Fast Times, yeah, hell yeah. So it was great. And then I got to work on one of his movies later. So, and he was cool as can be on set. So it was full circle. Yeah, it was nice. Um, and I have to say one of, one of the truest moments of any high school movie, uh, truest lines of dialogue was, was from that movie. And that's when the, uh, when Spicoli just randomly goes, Hey, I know that dude in class. Like that's what that character would do in class. That was <laughs> truth. like, that it announced to the entire class, I know that dude. Like that was it. That was all it had to be. And I was you understand. That's literally my favorite moment in that entire movie. Because <laughs> as you just so it's so weirdly real and stupid, but you Yeah. I laugh every time every time I hear that I mean, say what you want about Sean Penn and his career and everything, and but goddamn what a fucking incredibly fully realized amazing character Spicoli was so in a in a movie filled with great characters so um, but, does, I hate- but is Spicoli somehow in a different movie than the rest of everybody else like there is a certain feeling of that I would say the I will say this it does feel like it feels like when you watch it like it's the Spicoli show like everybody else's are characters and they're sort of like in it in the story where Spicoli just seems like he's like a sitcom character and you're, you're watching you know, almost like the Kramer thing on Friends, where it's like the other characters seem much more rooted and they seem like real people, and then fucking Kramer's a cartoon character. This I, I get that same vibe where it's like, like this guy is, but I think that's part of the charm of it. And I think, and again, I think because he is so real and because the performance is so authentic that it seems that way. Maybe it wasn't written that way or it's not, wasn't intended. And I think, uh, if anything, I would give it as a compliment to, to Penn and how phenomenal he was in that character i don't think the character stuck out i don't think like on the page it, it would feel that way i just maybe think it was just purely pen's brilliance and his 
full commitment to that character. And again, yeah, if you don't know Sean Penn and watch that movie, you think that this guy is playing it that this is him. Oh, yeah. Like, and in 1982, but, nobody knew Sean Penn. Yeah, uh, and he, but but again, like Jennifer Jason Lee is fantastic in it too. Yep. Is this perfect mix of? I mean, she's so vulnerable on one hand, yet so like uh, mature in another. Yeah, uh, and this was Fast Times kind of predates just by a hair the kind of John Hughes movement that was yeah. about to start, and. I think beats it to the punch of having like real teenagers. I mean, even one thousand percent. Even Nicolas Cage in the background, like uh, of the Burger Place, looked like a kid at the background of a Burger Place. place. And I think, I mean, I think that one. I think that's because of the whole, you know, background of the film, and that it was based off of Crow going to an actual high school, and and that's why I think that's why I think the the characters feel so real is because you probably was like, God damn, who are these people? Like these, you know. And he catch or like all the Judge Reinhold working at a fucking fast food place and thinking, I'm a single successful guy. Single guy. Exactly. <laughs> I got a car. I got a <laughs> I mean, then it, it, but that's how you think like, in high school. Like you have a job. You're a single successful person. And that's the thing is like it it's a it's a comedy, but there's a lot of like dark, depressing elements, and it's like it deals with like abortion and all that stuff. And it's very it's, it's very heavy. heavy. And Amy Heckling handled it really well. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's the thing. Is like I think like it's one hundred percent I think it kickstarted the teen comedy route. And I love John Hughes and this is by no means like a criticism on him, but I feel like it it was it came out and was like the real deal. And then John Carpenter I mean and got Carpenter on the brain, uh John Hughes films were a little more sanitized, a little sweeter, uh, a little more like um sentimental. Um uh where more you, sentimental. Yeah, and which again isn't a bad thing. I yeah, I I, I I'm, I'm not here to bash John Hughes, but exactly, I'm I'm I love it. So, but yeah, great film. Uh, well, again, it wasn't a movie I grew up with because again, it wasn't. It was too. My parents weren't taking me to see that movie, but um, but it was a movie that you know I appreciate for, and the soundtrack is great. Um, so, but anyways, enough about Fast Times as far as me, Casey. What about you? as far as Fast Times go? Like, yeah, I mean, obviously, I didn't see that. Um... When I was a kid, <laughs> I didn't see it first run of the theater. Um, I do remember seeing the trailer for it a lot because uh, my local mall, Universal had this promotional thing where they just had this like TV on a kiosk that just broadcasted like Universal trailers coming out for movies that were coming out. And so like that was on this constant cycle that I remember. It was like Fast Times, Jaws 3D. And like a couple other random ones and i was like oh that movie looks funny but then i didn't see it till like obviously way later but what i do think what you were saying about how surprised you were as compared to you know it didn't do as well as you know others in that summer think about the other big like teen comedy that summer that actually blew it out of the water as far as grosses goes and it kind of shows you what kind of America's <laughs> tastes are like, and that's Porky's. <laughs> that's true. That which again, big serving a class right there. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, like my mom's least favorite movie ever. Um, oh, is it really? That's okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah she just found it like unbelievably por- stupid. Porky's is so low brow compared to Fast Times, yeah. and like, <laughs> but yeah, man, that movie made huge huge money like and so i'm sure porky's along with fast times probably were like oh yeah let's get on this team comedy like <laughs> i will say this i i think I, i've seen 
I've seen the first one. I don't know if I saw them after. I've seen but, the whole trilogy. I'm sure you have. Uh, but I, I have, but I don't remember. Them yeah, I, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't be able to have a conversation with them, but I've seen them. <laughs> but I remember them being like being played on network television a lot. Like, you know, which it seems fucking insane. It's like selling a chocolate chip cookie, but taking out all the fucking chocolate chips. Like, why are you watching <laughs> Porky's without the one reason you would go to see Porky's? I remember it was one of the first beta rentals we did, and I, and they told me I had to go in the other room. <laughs> I was like, God damn it. But somehow they let me watch First Blood. I don't, whatever. Also 1982, but not, uh, not in the summer. Not in the yeah. summer, yeah. So we'll, we'll have to, we'll, we'll do a Sly episode to make up for, for something. Although we've got some Sly coming up, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I was, there was a, a handful of these that I really wanted to watch before we had this conversation, and I'm sorry, guys. I, I just didn't have the time to watch much this time around. Um, but one of the ones that, that I really wanted to watch again because I knew I really liked it, uh, but I hadn't seen it in forever was Diner. And in the back of my head, I'm like, yeah, but I there's one scene I remember from Diner that uh, is the number one scene that I think most people think of when they think of Diner, whether that's fair or not fair. I don't know. I already know which scene. It's the popcorn scene. But I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, may- maybe I don't want to talk about Diner. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This is the fucking summer of Porky's and Zap. What have I got to worry about? <laughs> yeah, Such- you, you, we'll didn't make, you didn't make her release like these movies. Like, yeah. <laughs> what are you so guilty about? Well, no, I wasn't guilty. I just I, I just uh, didn't know what else to say about it without rewatching it so that I had I something go- other than that scene popping into my head. Here's a, here's our entire coverage of Zap. Scott Bale and Willie Ames. Scott Bale has psychic powers to where he can pop bras off with his mind. That's Zap. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> that should have yeah. been a fucking. Uh, I mean, actually, there was a lot of Zap movies, and there was even a remake. But uh, Zapped again. Yeah, Zapped again. But uh, I was, dude, I was such a huge Willie Ames mark. I was such a fan <laughs> of the the Ames. Like, I thought he was the funniest dude ever. Uh, I never was pretty funny. I just yeah. don't think he agrees. Yeah, um, but. <laughs> but yeah, I, I have to say, I don't, I don't, I've seen Diner. I know people loved it. I could, I just doesn't do anything I, for me. I will still say, like, hands down, one of the best casts of the early 80s. But, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that movie the made goose. all those guys. And that's why I really wanted to see it. Cause I'm like, it's just not fair that that's like the one thing that remains in my brain. But maybe that says something else about the movie. But that's, I mean, it's, it's been ages and ages. And I love Barry Levinson. Um, and I, I certainly love the Goots. Uh, style of Goots. I was late to the game on Diner. Like, I think the first time I saw it was like probably early to mid 20s. I was about the same, but it's been a little and, while since then, too. <laughs> yeah. And um, I remember, like, oh, you know, it's cool. Like, you know, the dialogue, like the way it was done, how it was dialogue heavy and everything. But I'm just like, I don't really care about any of this. No, <laughs> so, same. I'm like, this is just the time and place where I'm just like, I just kind of don't care. Like, and it wasn't, it, it wasn't like Levinson's fault. It wasn't like bad filmmaking or anything. Like, like you said, that cast is fantastic and no one's bad in it or anything, but it was just like, I'm just not relating to this. Pete. That's 100%. I, Casey, you nailed it for me too. I just, it's, I think there's an association thing. Cause there are other movies on this list where, there's this like there's like a lot of like what I consider like grown up movies, you yeah. know, at the time like where your parents went to see it, like coming out I mean, in the could... summer, you know, what's up? Coming out in the summer, yeah, which is a great thing. There should be more of that. 
No, I agree. But it's just like as a kid, I didn't give a shit about Officer and a Gentleman or Chariots of Fire. Like, fuck you. I'm I'm going to go see, you know, Rocky Three, for fuck's sake. Of, of course. You know, of course. But, but it's a much time, better movie. But it's weird to think, or maybe it's not weird. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But in the back of my head, it's, it's weird to think that, like, while I was in a theater watching Rocky Three, somewhere in a, another auditorium down the hall was actually walking, watching a fucking movie with Henry Fonda. Like we we existed in the time period that some of these legends were working, you know. Yeah, that's that's, um, a, that's true. And, I mean, barely though. In the case of him, he won an Oscar that year. I know, for but, Golden Pond. but yeah, he didn't do much else after that. No. Uh, Catherine Hepburn was still around for another twenty years after that. That's um, true. So it's a Henry Fonda, Catherine Hepburn movie playing up against the fucking sly Mister T uh, pair off, you know, and it's. It's just a weird, cool time that we got to be a part of. I, I don't think that modern. I mean, there are still modern movie stars. I, I watched The Gray Man last night with um, Ryan Gosling and uh, Chris Evans, which was an okay movie. It was a good way to spend a Saturday night. Uh, people keep on referring to Tom Cruise as the last movie star, and I don't think he is. I think um, he's maybe the last from that era. But the movie star to me still exists and is still enough of a drive to like get people to watch movies. But we don't think very often about like having existed in a time period where like, uh, oh shit, who were some of the names I was thinking of in relation to it wasn't just Henry Fonda, but I mean, like, you know, we, we lived in a time where uh, like Walter or not Walter, uh, John Houston directed Annie, yeah. you know, John Houston had a movie in the summer of 82 big names that we grew up with, but kind of grew up with is these are the masters. And we were kind of lucky enough to be even remotely overlapping in that time you know jimmy stewart was still occasionally in something at that time it is weird but then you remember that shit was 40 years yeah 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 <laughs> so, we're just old That's my, my my heart is flying away making the sound of like a deflating balloon right now but <laughs> yeah, I feel you. you know what's you know what's weird my realization i'm having with this summer is that i've always considered 82 to be like a huge summer as far as uh filmmaking goes especially like t- like tentpole movies but now looking at it, I'm like, I think I saw two of these in the theater. <laughs> like see, first run. See, weirdly, for I know for a fact I saw E.T. in the in the theater. I saw Tron in the theater, believe it or not, because my cousin was so excited about that movie. Um, Dude, Tron and, Tron's one of my favorite like properties of all time. And like I even I didn't see it first run. Saw like, in the theater yeah, I didn't and see it I had the all theater. the toys, but the yeah, toys fascinated me, but I didn't see Tron until I was in my team, I had I had my that clamshell VHS is where I saw it. Yeah, <laughs> I had a cousin um, who was a huge sci-fi nerd, and he he was so he was. I just remember being in my aunt and uncle's living room, and he was just going off about how special that movie was going to be. Um, and then everybody else in my family making fun of him when we left the theater because <laughs> um, they didn't get it. But I saw Rathacon in the theater. I saw, and I, again, you know, I think I was lucky enough that because my parents liked, my mom loved going to the theater. Uh, and, you know, my older brother was old enough that he wanted to see these movies. I got to go to some of these, but I was surprised at how many, because I can't remember, even in 83, I'm like, how many movies I seen in the theater? But for some reason this year, I was like, oh, I saw that. I saw that. I saw that. Part of me even thinks I saw Annie in the theater, but. I, I don't know if that's, I, I can't be understood certain, but. Uh, I can't remember if I saw it. I was really into Annie though. Um, I remember yeah. watching Annie a lot on HBO. 
uh, I remember being a kid singing tomorrow. I had like uh, Annie toys. Like I remember having um, like those weird little plastic ones that were about an inch and a half tall that like did not articulate at all. They had no bendy points at all. <laughs> like ones you had... get in the vending, like the quarter machine. Yes. Like an had... egg. <laughs> exactly. But I had like an Annie and a Sandy and a Punjab, um, which got, now that I think about it, that's probably not, the most pc character in the world no uh, it shows you how long it's been since i've seen annie but i was all about annie at the time star trek 2 i definitely saw in the theater because it, it was my introduction to star trek same 100 and i remember that summer my dad telling me oh star trek's gonna be on tv tonight too and i was so excited because i wanted to see star trek more star trek and then i see like these dudes in like gold and blue shirts and i'm like what the fuck is this i mean i wasn't saying that or <laughs> but I, I i could not reconcile in my brain. yeah thanks to six pack yes i was saying what the shit is this um that may actually be true that might have actually happened but <laughs> uh but i definitely recognize spock but it took me a long time to like reconcile young Shatner with like 80 Shatner for some reason it must have been the wig but for some reason I could not put I knew they were the same person but they looked so different to me but Wrath of Khan was a huge deal to me in the theater. as big as any of the Star Wars that I saw in the theater at that age yeah I yeah, for whatever reason I don't remember my parents like taking me like I don't think they had any interest in Star Trek or something but I do not remember seeing Wrath of Khan first run I remember you know obviously at in 82 even despite the flop of the first one, like sci-fi was still like, it was still huge. Like, you know, anything that was star related, sci-fi related was, was going to be big. And I, that's probably why I saw it. But I actually do remember being a little kid and watching the, uh, which, you know, I, I love today. I wasn't a, a huge Star Trek uh, fan, you know, growing up, but I still remember seeing it and just being fascinated by the opening and then having no interest once the episode started. But uh, yeah, I just loved Wrath of Khan. I just loved it. I loved. Uh, I remember almost being kind of scared of uh, of Khan, like yeah, that weird plasticky chest. Oh, Montalban is great performance in that. Yeah, man. he's just intense, totally and, intimidating. He's and, one of like, the main reasons to see. It. And it took me oh, decades yeah. to figure out that that was not a plastic chest. That was just how ripped Montalban was at that age. So yeah, I I didn't know that. I, I've never I've never. I that always thought it was a plastic, plastic chest. Me and my friend Greg used to make jokes about Khan's well, plastic chest. I think it's just I, I've only ever heard it referred to as Khan's plastic chest. So I <laughs> I ended up working with the guy um, who was actually part of the effects team on the original Star Trek on the original series, and he That's was awesome. brought he was brought back in because that was like the whole overhaul of star trek 2 was that like the first one was too much 2001 and not enough star wars and so they decided rather than do more star wars let's do the right thing and do more star trek and uh so they brought back ideas for the original series and and obviously brought back con from the original series and they brought back some of the special effects people from the original series now they didn't bring my buddy back but he knew the guy still and like got access to the to the set and he's the one who told me no that was all ricardo ricardo was in that kind of shape like that's I know, awesome i know every special effect that went into that movie and the only special effect on ricardo is the hair yes <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's the thing is that's you know i i actually 
I've come to enjoy the motion picture despite I, its running time. I think I've it visually it's really it. yeah. I think it's a really interesting sci-fi movie and it's you know it's very heady enough it's very much a product of its time very aesthetic uh uh it's very you know purposefully trying to be elevated science fiction but but i, I like it but wrath of khan is the i mean it's like comparing alien to aliens yeah yeah a little bit well, yeah it's a good call but i but maybe being a little uh uh complimentary to the motion picture but um because alien is you know oh, still true. But but yes, absolutely, especially in tone. In tone, but I, it was very much yeah. But where the original, where Star Trek: The Motion Picture was leaned into the more heady philosophical end of Star Trek, which you know was hinted at in lots of episodes, but did, I mean didn't go as full bore. Wrath of Khan leaned into the more action, fun, and stuff. And I think in a movie theater setting, you have to go that direction. And and I, the I'd love to actually do a whole episode where we talk about. All the Star Trek films because it the it's so interesting how it would go from you know poor reception to great reception to poor reception to great like and they couldn't they it, you know every odd numbered film was bad every even number film was good and like the licensing of it too as a big toy guy like that has really fascinating history where they made all these exciting Mego toys for the first one nobody saw it and they're like fuck this was a waste then the action film the action uh, one that was really successful and popular. They didn't make any action figures. And of course it made a lot of money. The film made money and all the toy companies were like, shit, we should have made toys. And then how that they, they couldn't get that pattern right. But, um, but yeah, still, I still, it's, I, I, I'm glad that people nowadays still like love Wrath of Khan and, and hold it up. But I do remember for a long time, it was like people made fun of it. I think because of, they thought like Khan's ridiculous looking and seeing the pot at the time, the quote unquote paunchy old actors, which, you know, they were, still children compared to some of the films but, but uh but yeah, yeah I, I, some I, of I them like... were within 10 years of us right now so yeah. yes <laughs> like, and, I'm just... sure, and i'm sure original trick the uh, star trek fans were pissed that it wasn't more like you know like yes the show like it wasn't more like thought-provoking sci-fi discussing like you know societal issues and that kind of thing exactly. where it was more just more just you know spectacle and action scenes and whatnot yeah and i mean it's again it's it's in a theater setting you yeah people will people will do something and will appreciate something on tv but if you do and also the let's be honest the runtime is fucking bananas <laughs> but yeah. the runtime of the oh for like, the first one yeah, yeah. first one's crazy oh so yeah yeah either but but where yes but i think leaning more into action especially post star wars because that's what people want they want laser fights and shit that's what they want so anyways but uh i'm glad we i mean i'm we glad have... i saw it in the theater and i'm glad that it's still you know it, it holds up and it, and it was frightening too like uh, you got the yes. the, the ear bug the, the bugs crawling into the, the ear the seti, the seti eel or whatever it is. yes uh you had the fucking uh suicide by phaser um you had i mean and then and then of course legendary the death of spock Fuck. Uh, spoiler yep. alert i guess yeah he came back spoiler alert part three part. Yeah. <laughs> the search for God, what a great on my on my desk at work i actually have uh their funko i'm sure casey knows this but they the funkos and i my desk is littered in fact we had a recently we had a policy change so I, my desk i can't have as decorated a desk but i made sure to keep my you know the scene where you know spock and, and kirk are you know touching oh, you bought that that was yeah, adorable course. yeah my, yeah i was like this is too awesome to pass up so 
Yeah, even my wife had to like let out an awe when she saw that one. <laughs> yeah, it's too cute. And such a great moment. I mean, such a memorable moment. It is. Done in plastic. Something I just thought of, um, I just watched the Light and Magic documentary about ILM on Disney+, Plus, which is fantastic, by yeah, the way. I want to see it. Super comprehensive, and they talk to everybody that pretty much you would want them to talk to. And uh, the Genesis uh, sequence in this where the computer model of like what it happens and how it works, that's actually the first uh, computer graphics used in film, I believe. That's right. I forgot about that, too. And also, like, I kept thinking that was that Starfighter. Well, not Starfighter, because I no, know because that was two years after this. Yeah, that's weird. Oh, that's that's fascinating. Yeah, and that was done. I by, want to see that. Document. That sequence was done by LLM. and that's um, awesome. I want to say, like, this summer, as far as technology goes, too, is big because of like stuff like that and Tron, and I'm I'll just lead into it now because I'm sure it's going to get brought up. Is Blade Runner? Yeah. Um, the look of Blade Runner, like, was just something else, man, compared to what came before it like it it definitely like made its own universe and it's just acknowledging the fact that looks. the thing and blade runner same came day out in the same dude that is fucking banana <laughs> i know right <laughs> i like i you know i i had this idea for a podcast called uh stupid reasons for a time machine and uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> that's kind of great um literally i've thought like one, one of my main things like god i wish i could just go back to certain times and to see a film for the first time in the theater with an audience that's never seen it before. And God, that day, just spent all day in the theater, just having my people, uh, God, just incredible. Now, Cause I'm sure E.T. was still playing too. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, E.T. would still be playing, you know, by the time last Starfighter came out, I think I was gonna he was say, still exactly. playing some places, but I'm sure it was a double feature in some places, but uh uh, now, keep in mind, though, if you saw, if you went back to 1982 to see Blade Runner, you'd be seeing a different version of it than most people yeah. are familiar with now. Yeah. Uh, so I always think of Blade Runner as, as being continually uh, updated. It, well, Re-edited, updated. I'm not sure what the word is. Yeah. It, it's uh, influential uh, because there really were no director's cuts prior to Blade Runner either. But uh, I, I got to be honest, it's been so long since I've seen that original version with the voiceover and everything. Sure. It's hard for me to imagine Blade Runner to an audience in 1982. See, I, I should go back and watch that one again, but I, I can't okay. remember if I like it or not now. Here comes one of the most controversial things I'll ever say on this podcast. Uh, I don't have, like Harrison. I, I'll, I'm sorry. I, I, I think I might have a similar opinion, but go ahead. <laughs> uh, well, well, I don't know, but. I don't think so, in, at least in this regard, because I don't like Harrison Ford. I think he's kind of a one-note actor. I still remember my parents forcing me to watch uh, Regarding Henry, and I'll never uh, I'll never forgive him. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I think this, I honestly, like, yeah, Han Solo, I think there's something about Harrison Ford's personality that suits that character so well, because Harrison Ford himself is so fucking reserved and so kind of I don't want to say robotic, but like to me, he fits Decker. And he's like, if you see him in this old curmudgeon ass in like interviews, to me, that's much closer to Decker than his. Yeah, for sure. And for some reason, everybody shits on the the, the voiceover, even though I that's still the version because I think it was the first version I saw. To me, I think it still works because I think Harrison Ford, one of Harrison Ford's greatest attribute is his voice. And I think like I don't know, I think that the, the I think the narration works. I don't hate it as much as everybody else. 
I'd have to rewatch it probably and, and I would have and to really rewatch it. Yeah, yeah but, I think I've I think I've seen the version with the the narration like the original version maybe like once because I, I again it was a movie I was late on the game to like and I didn't the first thing I saw was the director's cut that he redid in the late nineties and I did exactly the same yeah and I and I do prefer that version over what the initial release was I, the the initial release I mean the narration say what you will. It's not the most annoying thing about that cut. The, the most annoying thing about that cut to me is the ending. Um, I definitely prefer how he altered the ending uh, in in future cuts of it. But how my, many cuts are there? There's like nine cuts of that fucking movie. There's a lot of cuts. There's like four. There's like the theat- the U.S. theatrical. Then there was like an international version. I think that was like two minutes longer. And then he did his director's cut in the late '90s. And then yeah, I think on the, the final cut, the two thousand. Yeah, 2000s, 2010s was the final cut. So it's like, no, seriously, guys, this is really, exactly. this is really think, my vision. I think if you buy the like five disc set, there's even like a work print version or something. Yeah, like so there's like six different versions you can yeah. watch of Blade Runner. I mean, how but many times say, can have... he not get that movie right? Like, that's just... <laughs> yeah. It's... And the thing is, though, I think that but here, here's, you know, I've read Philip K. Dick. Take what you will from the source material and the concept, however, and which is fascinating enough. But I think what he did with that movie, first off, visually, it's the most influential movie of any genre of all. I mean, it has been copied by more, the the ideas in that movie of what should be science fiction, what should be neo-noir science fiction. All that stuff has been copied to death, you know, and that's one of the most fascinating things about the uh, 2049, whatever, I Whatever the sequel is, I need is I still haven't seen it. I it, it's on my list. I I love it, but to me, what's so fucking fascinating is taking those concepts from 1982 and doing a future version of that and sticking with it. Just there's all this fascinating things about technology and how technology changed from 1982 to to when the sequel was made. But you know they were doing future tech, but by our standards. But it's because everything is so organically designed and so there's so much intelligence into every aspect of that production the film production on that movie is i I can't think of a better and there's movies i like as much but everything about that movie so meticulously thought of aesthetic like all of the the grit and neon but all of the art deco and there's just all these brilliant concepts going on at the same time that like nice little touches like almost in his uh origami and me and know that like the the the, that's the thing is again that that was going to be the the knowing that in the future like we're not all going to like the, the hodgepodge of, of Spanish and Japanese or Chinese and like all of those things. All the cultures are all mid. That's Edward James shit. almost created that language himself, didn't he? I, I think he I, may have. I wouldn't be surprised. But yeah, just a great movie. And that's what I was going to say though about having. I'm kind of going off on a tangent, but the whole point is that there's so many layers to that movie that changing thing, like changing scenes or adding scenes, changes whole context and whole plot lines and stuff and that's such a nuanced film and you know like even today i see articles all the time it's like oh we discovered this did you notice that all uh replicants their eyes glow their eyes shine you know in in, like and just all these like things that people are still sort of invested in that film and what it means and the it's just a what an incredible movie i'm not we don't need to talk about how great blade runner is but again just it's such a fascinating production the history of it and everything so Here's my two unpopular opinions regarding Blade Runner. One is I love Ridley Scott as a director and I appreciate his work, but the original Alien and Blade Runner I are criminally slow to me. 
like <laughs> I I think I think Ridley has serious like pacing issues. Um, I mean he wants, I mean he's an artist and he wants to create atmosphere, and I get it. But I'm like watching him now though. I'm just like we need to cut to the chase here, guys. <laughs> and like I actually think I might enjoy the sequel more, which is kind of a I mean it's a great I bless him his take too but like I've heard a few people put that out there. I I just I didn't get to see it it wasn't like out of protest or anything like I I was just more engaged in the story for some yeah. reason and like and like Jim said too it's like the fact that they were able to you know continue on you know and even though it looked you know newer and fresher it was still very much the same world like it it seemed like it very much seemed like a continuation of the same world that was created initially yeah, and it's, that's fascinating to me that he was able. Well, it wasn't Ridley who pulled that off. It was yeah, uh, Villeneuve. Yeah, Denny. Yeah. Uh, one of the best. Again, that's the thing is. So I, it's funny because I, I, I go back and forth on 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 Ridley Scott as far as like uh, again, I love his early stuff, but he's one of my all time favorite directors to not go to the theater and see his movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I don't even mean that as snide as it sounds. Like I. I respect the hell out of Ridley Scott, but I really don't get what all the hype is. Like to me, outside of Aliens and Blade Runner, which Alien I really, really love, but I get what you're saying on the pacing. Blade Runner, I for sure get what you're saying on the pacing. And even he can't seem to get that movie nailed down to exactly what he ever wanted it to be. So they're both flawed masterpieces, but like American Gangster, like like so many of his more, even Gladiator. See, a lot, I, I... A, a lot of stuff I am just like, is it over? Can I go to sleep now? Like see, I, I just am not into so much of Ridley Scott. I see. I, I'll disagree with you. I, I, it's funny. One of my good friends is a Gladiator is his favorite movie, and I would rather watch fucking Paint Dry. But uh, it's the I love Joaquin Phoenix, but that's the like they the most, all have things about it that are yeah. fantastic. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. Ridley Scott's deserved his place in the, in film like, history. He's just not for me, man. To me, okay. I want to get because we have we this is already running long and we have a lot to discuss. But the one thing, I, like pacing issues, while I can definitely see that, I don't in any version of I, again. I think because I'm so naturally gravitate towards aesthetics and design and shit. And like, I there's something about like a wet futuristic city look that I just I, I can just watch that shit. I don't even care what the story is. But to me, Alien, if you've seen The Haunting, if you've seen like if you've seen old haunted house movies it, to the, the pacing's exactly the same it's that it's very methodical but it's for a purpose and stuff and but again i'm not the biggest james cameron fan for almost the opposite reason but also like in, in a way like i love early cameron but later cameron can kiss my ass i don't care what anybody says like i don't i never need to see avatar and i don't i mean true lies that's the end of cameron for me i don't care about anything <laughs> i enjoy titanic i'm questionable I don't think I would enjoy it now but you can't but they're so disparate and aliens is so much more rewatchable because of what it is. It's a action science fiction film where alien is a horror science fiction film. Same thing for me. I fucking love Terminator because it is a horror science fiction film. Terminator two is a fucking cartoon, yeah. but it's fun. They're like, I mean, it's, you know, aliens, one of the best sci-fi action films. It's probably God. I, I, it's very hyperbolic tonight, but we're talking about legendary movies, but, Aliens is phenomenal, and it does make Aliens look like a plodding, you know, like a like a British. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, when I when I offer my my takes on those, like I don't want people to think like I don't like those movies. I absolutely yeah. do, and you I are very them. valid. 
I, I own them, you know, but it's like, but yeah, I just, there's other things I would probably more likely put on my, my wife, like can't watch Blade Runner. <laughs> She's just like, it's too slow for me. Like I can't, I can't do it. And so that's why, that's another reason I don't watch it a lot, but no, like just those two movies. It, it, yeah. It, maybe it's just because his aesthetic like is just a little slow for me. It, it It's like, I see what he's doing and I understand the importance of why he paced those movies the way he does. And like to showcase, yeah, like the art direction and also to to establish a mood and atmosphere. Very mood, yes. Very yeah, much. and and so yeah, I, I appreciate all that. But yeah, but just if you're trying to casually watch it now for me, I'm just like, you know, because of watching movies for decades past that now, I'm just like, okay, this is kind of dragging for me. <laughs> and so yeah, that's why as much as Blade Runner is great, like I, it's not something I watch a lot. Yeah, it's and all of this being said, I I do have to say about Ridley Scott, I will watch Matchstick Man any day, any time. So he does have these weird movies that some of them are even the ones that nobody talks about, and I'm just like, dude, that movie's a masterpiece. How come no one's talking about Matchstick Man? Or and most people don't attribute Thelma and Louise to him either, uh, which is a pretty damn good movie. But I I agree with you on Blade Runner. I I think that the pacing is a little off, and that's what he's probably trying to chase with all of these director's cuts and things that yeah. the fact that like, I I'm sure he was, uh, I know for a fact he was screwed by the studio on a, on a lot of levels on releasing that re- releasing it the first time. But I think I should go back and watch the original 1980, 82 cut, uh, especially in light of this conversation, because it's hard for me to now imagine what Blade Runner was in 1982. Cause I've only seen that version once. And I saw it after the director's cut. Yeah. Same. So, so, but but as far as it coming out the same day as the thing, that's just completely mind blowing. There's a lot of films that we can kind of touch on, but I think one. I mean, there's a, still a few, but I feel like one of the ones that we should definitely talk about because it is very. It was a huge movie. It was also Spielberg. Uh, I mean, Spielberg's involvement, and some people might actually argue he was the director. Um, and a movie I saw in the theaters, and one of the most. I don't talk about this enough, but probably one of the most formative experiences in my life which was poltergeist it's um genius it is i was having a conversation recently about the fact that like this kind of movie doesn't exist anymore which is this sort of aimed at family horror movies that have a serious set of balls to them it's this isn't like a kitty horror movie it's there's some really scary elements but and with some really like you know there's a lot of like heavy themes as far as like it's just a great movie. The production's interesting with Toby Hooper directing it and people saying that Toby Hooper didn't actually direct it, that Spielberg actually directed it and all of the other things that you know we don't need to get into, but I find fascinating. But as a film itself, what a fucking... And again, a powerhouse. Culturally speaking, they're here. Like, so much, you know, uh, just, you know, what a what a unique film for its time what it did like populist horror movie directed by the guy that directed texas chainsaw matt like this what a what an interesting movie and i i will go on record i think the both the first one and second one still hold up to this day i'll i recommend them to anybody i'm like you are you getting into horror watch the first two poltergeist i think poltergeist 2 is actually scarier you know obviously there's the tragedy behind it and everything and again that's why it's there's a lot of fascinating to it but yeah, it as a film Film as a film, it stands on its own. It doesn't matter if it's Spielberg. It just just as a film, regardless of whatever any other thing you can talk about, it's just a fucking great, truly effective horror film. And I, I love it. 
No, Poltergeist, Poltergeist is one of my favorite horror films of all time. And yeah, again, I, I, I didn't watch this first run. It was like years later that I saw it. But, you know, yeah, don't let the fact that it's rated PG, like, discount it for anybody. Like, no. It's, no, this shit's scary. It's a creepy-ass movie, and it's fun as hell to watch. And it's so well done. And, like, yeah, there's just moments in that that will never leave your head. Yeah. Like, you'll see things in that movie that will just stay with you forever like yeah it's funny and it, it is weird that it's you know a spielberg produced thing but you know i've read before where you know people came to a movie i don't know if it was toby hooper or if it was something for another movie that spielberg produced but they're like i'm trying to it's weird for me to find the balance between like doing something legitimately creepy or scary and like you know trying to come in with like a pg and spielberg would be like scare the shit out of them yeah. <laughs> no he's like scare the shit out of him he's like that's the way you get him you know it's like that's what's memorable that's what leaves on him and so that's why you know even though it's two years later why the summer of 90 or summer of 84 is big as far as like that kind of scenario too because that's when pg-13 got you know invented because of basically because of temple of doom and gremlins for sure yeah those are some ghostbusters yeah, like those were some intense ass PG movies, and he went to he went to the board. And it's like you need something in between PG and R. Like, well, and so. you know, the thing is, the thing is, like, I think for a generation of people, like, first off, I think we have an entire generation of people that are scared of both clowns and creepy dolls at the same time because of that movie. Like, it just it went after children. You know, children were getting attacked by like very ballsy move. Yeah, right. Well, that's eighty two. PG film. That's one of the things that I think is brilliant about it. I may have said this on another episode before, but the the thing that I truly appreciate about Poltergeist is I didn't see it in its initial run, but I did see it like uh, early on. Like I had seen it by like 84, 85 and and it scared the hell out of me for all the reasons that have been mentioned. The scary clown doll, the the big tree outside, the bodies in the swimming pool. But the monsters in it too are just yeah dude dude these are are all things that scare children though and then when i got older and i know this isn't bullshit because it it happened the switch happened in my brain before i got married and and uh had a stepdaughter uh when i was in my 20s and i saw poltergeist theatrically and i suddenly realized this is scaring me for different reasons now this is scaring me because i can't imagine having a, a supernatural force take my child and the helplessness that comes especially with being able to hear her calling yeah. out and all this other stuff that just is so emotionally terrifying it scares kids right where it gets kids and it scares adults right where it gets adults and it is just the perfect combination of those two worlds colliding to where you will always be frightened by poltergeist on yep. some level no matter well said yeah yeah for sure and i thought that was just genius um i still remember the fangoria magazine with the the closet ghoul ghost thing on the cover (laughs) uh and just being fascinated to no end uh remember seeing that at walden books specifically Um, i think it's it's probably one books too yeah (laughs) again i brought it up earlier but the that light and magic documentary one of the one of the things i remember about it was they showed how they did the house implosion and poltergeist and it was pretty cool <laughs> yeah that i can imagine i honestly think as soon as this is over i'm gonna go watch it. 
<laughs> it's long. I mean, it's like a, I think it's like a five episode, five or six episode thing, but yeah, man, it's good. It's so good. Uh, as far as the rumors of um, Spielberg ghost directing yeah. for Toby Hooper, uh, no pun intended. <laughs> uh, I actually, I mean, Spielberg has said that that was not the case and that this was a Toby Hooper film. Uh, Mick Garris, who would have reasons to defend both men as good friends, uh, has also said, and he was on the set, has said that this was a Toby Hooper film. And the reason why I believe that, even though it could still be kind of a mouthwash sort of thing, you know, we're trying to protect Toby's reputation. Uh, it's because first off, Toby didn't move on to be a pointless director after that. He's still like Texas Chainsaw 2 is incredible. Life Force is actually underrated. Yep. But uh, I have a, I, I feel like, and this is not a slight against Spielberg or any of the directors that he worked with. In fact, I think it's actually a point positive in terms of the fusion that he was able to create. But every single movie that Spielberg produced during this era feels like that director's version of a Spielberg movie. One, like, yes. Like Richard Donner does not direct like Spielberg, except in Goonies. Robert Zemeckis does not direct I, like Steven Spielberg, except in Back to the Future. Uh, Joe Dante and Gremlins. These things keep on coming up. All of these movies have the Spielberg stamp on them without him. And I don't think he was steamrolling these directors and going in and saying you must do things my way i don't think he's micromanaging everybody i don't know where the magic actually took place no uh, i think he's just he was just a hands-on producer too and like yeah you know he would come up with ideas that they're probably like oh my god yeah that's fantastic you know yeah 100 and i also think so i think this was just toby hooper's version of a spielberg movie yeah. i i agree and I, I think a lot of people also say that because they think of the guy that did Texas Chainsaw Massacre eaten alive or whatever. And they can't they can't, can't reconcile the fact with the movie that was made. Um and again, I I I've never honestly believed that. That's fucking ridiculous. But it's funny because I made that exact same point though about how other directors have directed Spielberg produced films. And if you if you didn't know Spielberg didn't direct it, you wouldn't you you'd be like, I have Spielberg directed this. And it, like it feels it has the hallmarks of both directors. Gremlins yeah. very much feels like a Joe Dante film. But also very much so, feels like a Spielberg. Like same with and like, uh, Inner Space, same same director, same producer. I always forget. I always forget about Inner Space. But uh, <laughs> but like I, you know, Goonies though. Like I said, the, that always feels like you can totally see that Richard Donner directed it. But at the same time, it's. But again, I also think it's because Spielberg, those projects he took on, all have a similar vibe. The scripts have very similar themes and approaches to character and dialogue and stuff. So. I think that's more of it than just, you know, fucking Spielberg and, you know, dominating his vision onto different directors. I think that he just chose the right directors for those projects that happen to sort of all have the same sort of vibe. They, but they were just fantastic collaborations, which yeah. is what it's you basically, It's basically just like, if Uncle Scrooge tells you how to make money, you're going to listen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you're probably going to incorporate that somehow. Probably, probably. I just need to say this uh, because we've talked about Spielberg a lot. Um, I don't. I don't mean to sound like a hipster contrarian by any sense of the imagination, but still. And I literally just rewatched it. My favorite uh, Spielberg film is and will always be uh, *Topping Jaws*. Uh, *Duel*. Uh, I think *Duel* is literally one of the, my favorite. It's. I've watched it a hundred times. I don't know. I've watched it a lot, and it still bothers. It still gets under my skin. It's so no, upsetting. It's, awesome. it's. It's just. And it's. I think it's so perfectly directed, and it's so much more edgy and raw feeling than anything else he did. To me, it felt 
like a real and the fact it was made for TV film, it's just what an interesting movie. But uh not too a, long before uh lockdown, I actually got to see that on a screen at the Autry. Oh wow. Oh nice. Yeah, it was really cool. I hadn't seen see, it in a long time. It played Europe uh theatrically. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing is we're having just rewatched it. It's such a thea- it's such a cinematic movie. It's such a great looking directed like the composition of the shots with the trucks are always so you feel that like it's just that's why it's just so weird that it was made. And uh, yeah, it's basically mad, a TV movie of the week. Yeah, crazy. And mad credit to Dennis Weaver because that was practically a one man show. Oh, and he is fucking great in it. He's such a real dude. Oh, anyways, yes, I love it. I love it very much. And uh, it's no, of course, Jaws, and of course, everything else he's ever done. But you know, for my taste, like it's just so weirdly unsanitized. It's like the characters, like there's there's nothing. It's just I don't know. It's so. No, it definitely deserves to be praised more. I love Duel. Yeah. I do so good, so good. So we brought it up a couple of times already in passing, but I don't think we can forgive ourselves if we don't at some point talk about the Eye of the Tiger. So it's funny that you say that, Devin. Because <laughs> two things: when you were talking earlier about how uh, you you sang along to Heartlight, uh, 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 well, that too, but uh, Annie. Oh um, yes, Annie. Yes, of course. Uh, I was singing along. To, it's still to this day one of my. It's, I made my son listen to it constantly when he was growing up. Uh, I the Tiger. I remember being in shape and um, uh, Pizza Chalet in Yucaipa, California. Oh yeah, literally dancing and singing along to it because we had just seen Rocky <laughs> Three, and I was just I was so hyped on it. But it was the first time I laid eyes on Hulk Hogan. I mean, that's as formative experience as a human being can have. Both <laughs> on lips. Uh, Thunder Lips, yes. Mr. T, before he became, you know, the safe, you know, friendly, uh, if if uh, if slightly curmudgeonly and threatening. He got Steve family Rockus. friendly quick, though, but but he's evil in this movie. And scary as a motherfucker. He's the scariest yeah. villain of 1982, and I will fight anybody who's... He is... Because he's fucking real. And when he, when he kind of... When he's at the press conference and he gets under... He's like... Talking about his show, his show his wife a real man. I remember being a kid and being so upset by that, and like <laughs> really feeling that like. And you know, again, he I was like, you know, Rocky, uh, especially you know by Part Four, which is one of my favorite movies. I don't think I, I even love I love old Tommy Gunn in Part Five. Like I love the Rocky franchise. Uh, unironically, I love it. Um, yeah, I do. I do too. If Rocky but, Five is the worst movie, like that's still a pretty good series. If Rocky Five, I agree. Offer. I agree. Thank you. Um, the little, most recent Creed movie was in that, but everything else outside of that has been great. Mm. In I still Rocky haven't franchise. seen Rocky Balboa. I haven't seen the sixth. It's one. fucking oh, great, dude. It is will it? make you cry. Yeah, so much better than it is any right to be. Okay, so it's it's it, it's it bizarre. Really should not have been that good, and it fucking so smart to how yeah. they approached it and everything. But yeah, anyways, but I just Rocky three. It, it was so intense, like. It's it's a silly movie now, but at the time it was so intense, and you know Rocky was still. That's when Rocky became a cartoon character, but he was still he wasn't as cartoon as Part Four. But it was like watching Superman get like you're like, oh my god, is Superman gonna lose? Like it's just Rocky had that that presence. That was his he, cycle. That was yep. what's great about that whole series that this was yep. the beginning of what he started to become kind of cartoonish. Yeah, and then he he came back down to earth. But yeah, well, and that's like yes, exactly. The character of the full arc where he started at one point and he kind of ends at the same point, but no point has he ever sacrificed. You know, he he got a big head in part four and he had to go to Russia to fucking you know break out of the pampers. 
But at no point did Rocky ever, he never seemed true to his, to the character, to when he started and stuff in the heart of Rocky. And what he had to find himself a few times and go through character arcs. But anyways, let's, let's not here to wax philosophical about Rocky Balboa. <laughs> but anyways, I love Rocky three. I think it's, it's, you know, so criminally underrated because people think of it as a joke, but to me, it's not a joke. It's, it's got, better than people remember. Yeah. I mean, it's there's jokey parts, but it, it's truly like it's predictable, but at nonetheless heartbreaking when yes. Mickey dies. Yes. But you did it, dude. Uh, I was not prepared for that. I was not prepared for that. I wasn't no. prepared to watch the, the penguin die on, on the screen, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but wah, I mean, wah, wah. But seriously, like, uh, Mr. T doesn't get enough credit because he acted his ass off in that movie. Acted his ass off. And his anger and his real threatening level, like, that's why it was so, because I loved, I idolized, I had a few, I idolized John Claude a little bit later, but as a kid, I loved fucking Mr. T and I loved Hulk Hogan. Unfortunately, Hulk Hogan, it's a little, uh, I still love Mr. T. But I still love Mr. T. (laughs) Uh, but, um, But yeah, this was the star, I mean, just literally like, even again, the fucking soundtrack and uh, just, I just love it. But uh, I, again, I will, I'll leave it to that. I love Rocky. I mean, I've seen this movie a couple times over my life and I appreciate it for all the reasons you guys are saying, but like, I, it's, I swear I've seen this movie maybe twice. Oh. Um, but ask me how many times I've seen Rocky four. Yeah. A thousand times more than, than Rocky four is a comic book. It's a, I, it's, it's, it throws Here's out any kind of subtlety. Oh my with, god! Without Rocky it. three bridging those movies, yes. though, Rocky four would be unwatchable. Oh, if I'm Rocky sure. Rocky three hadn't bridged that. Like it's weird the way that this series should not exist with the accolades that it gets, but somehow he accidentally brilliantly did them in the right sequence of Rocky becoming more and more of a comic book character, and then and then descending back into being a real life character. Yeah. Uh, there's, very, like, there's so rounded. many there's so many things that I find fascinating about Rocky Four. Like I'm convinced that the original script was probably like 30 pages. <laughs> like that half that movie is just fucking montage of like old shit, <laughs> and and yet it's still it's still like just massively entertaining. It's, A lot of driving angry in Corvettes to uh, driving ang- driving <laughs> angry while thinking about what the hell happened in one, two and three. It, exactly. It is, and, it is the montage movie. I cannot think of a movie yeah. that use, utilizes. Montage. Oh, and he's training in Russia. It's literally back to back. Yeah. It's like from montage one, one Adrian shows yeah. up for literally like 30 seconds and then boom, montage yeah. to the again. greatest soundtrack in film history. Oh, and dude, literally first off, as cartoonish as it was as a kid, if you ask me, if you were to say, what do you like? What do you know about Russia? Oh, well, they give super athletes steroids in <laughs> billion dollar gyms. Like that's literally, I, I believe. What do you know about Russia? Like, Ivan Drago. Exactly. <laughs> Who's the great? They, I mean, they must he's, break. He's us. the president, right? They made him president yeah. after that. <laughs> <laughs> he fucking one arm choked Gorbachev standing with a fucking boxing glove on, which I think is physically impossible, but it was still great. I love it. Uh, Ivan Drago. I mean, let's not. I mean. At some point, we will have a whole episode dedicated to the genius. That's right, the genius Dolph Lundgren. He's a literal genius. Yeah, IQ wise, IQ wise, he is. Yes, uh, I and I, we definitely got to do a Rocky episode sometime too because yeah. I'm, I want to know. We don't have time to discuss it really here, but I haven't seen the director's cut of Rocky Four yet, and I would. I want to know what you guys would think of it. Um, I did, and I forgot that I saw it. Okay. 
I, well, there I, we go. Yeah, I don't I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember any differences. Yeah. Well, I saw it. They, they cut the robot out. Yeah. That oh, so like it's better. Okay. <laughs> I actually like that stupid robot, but again, it's ridiculous. But, but now Polly's... who does Paul Young have to Exactly? I'm gonna say who who doesn't love Polly's fuck robot? I mean yeah. it... had to have a robot in it's, it's what's so great about the 80s, that movie. Yep. yep. <laughs> Paul needs his robot. I, I really I think so, but I would be willing to watch Rocky for the director's cut to to talk about it at length we oh, i will talk about every rocky movie well, I, we've it, done friday the 13th now uh we've, we've opened ourselves up to series and so maybe sometime you know next year we'll do a rocky series episode I'm down. and and i'm glad that i mentioned the friday the 13th uh part three came out uh, this hey. summer because i we're not going to get into friday the 13th part three again after we just did a whole friday the 13th two-parter uh except for to say i i still think that shelly deserves better than than uh what we gave him in that episode yeah <laughs> i i went and followed that actor larry's uh, i can't remember such the z the guy that played shelly yeah i followed him on twitter he's like one of the biggest entertainment attorneys right now I, look, and and he's actually I, I, really cool on twitter i like him a lot i'm, I'm sure really he is, I, follow him. I i i i still stand by the first <laughs> poor shelly but uh i, I will say i mean no shelly no hockey mask that's exactly 100 um and again <laughs> i mean it has to be said it gave us the iconic version of of jason Voorhees. it's really i think to many people part three is part one like it's most people think you know that that's like most honestly even the most people i know even who are older than us the first movie they remember seeing was part three it's when the Jason story as we kind of know it starts. Yeah, exactly. Within, it's where the real the central, yeah. Uh, and I, I, you know, it, it's, it's, I think it's also known because of the goofy 3D, but I, I love it. Um, I was saying, I it probably, it probably, song. it probably jump started like that whole 3D craze that happened like the next year in 83. Yeah. yeah. Like Jaws. Oh, yeah, Jaws, absolutely. Yeah. Jaws 3D, like, uh, God, Treasure of the Four Crowns, like just random 3D movies like that that came out that year exactly uh it was it was friday the 13th part three and this weird movie by um one of the spaghetti western directors called coming at you coming at uh, you yeah. it was was one of the big first 3d movies but uh but since we're on the uh topic uh coming off of rocky three of uh of muscle men uh casey you and i just a couple days ago were talking about uh one of the world's biggest and mis- most influential muscle men had a movie out in 1982 yeah, so I I realized looking at this list of uh, summer '82 films that you know it's a big film, and I'm like I've never I like I've never seen this all the way through, and so I watched it two nights ago, and that's Conan the Barbarian. You've never seen never Conan? seen Conan the Barbarian. I've never seen Conan the Destroyer. So, <laughs> I love that you get wide-eyed more so for Conan the Destroyer than not seeing Conan the Destroyer than I am. What? First off, let me just say I'm literally sitting right next to my Conan the Barbarian action figure collection. Uh, I literally work out in a sleeveless uh, Conan the Barbarian t-shirt. Uh, how, what? It's the greatest. It's the most masculine movie ever made. Like, what is? What is? I. I hate to say it because I didn't grow up with it. Not that. Don't I'm... you want to drive your enemies before you and hear the lamentation of the women? Like, <laughs> come on, Casey. It's perfect. I mean, no, it's it's. I it's... give I give mad props to Basil Polidoris' score. 
yeah, that score is that, fantastic. That score is amazing. I thought it looked great, but like I was kind of bored, man. Like I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm with pre- Casey on this. I saw this when I was younger, and I I actually like the Conan movies, both of them. But I always thought the first one drags. Look, okay, I was gonna say, look, I love Sword and Sorcery. It's whatever. Uh, I love Conan. I love I about ten years ago I started actually trying to find copies we can reprints of the old Robert E. Howard Conan stories and stuff. I I love it. I love the movie. I love the you know the I love James Earl Jones in it. He's fucking great in his weird ass wig, his weird uh mullet whatever page boy wig. Um the John Milius uh the, direction. I mean John John Milius is insane insanity. His his whole ethos is in every it drips in every engine. Oh absolutely. Um but I will say to with all of that said, once you get out of once you get Conan out of his backstory and his being a pit fighter and like it does like once it turns into Conan the thief, it does start to slow down a lot. And it gets the first part of the third act is kind of like, all right, let's get to it. But then by the end it, it's fun and it, it get becomes real pulpy and stuff. But I will say, and this is I, I have no problem admitting this because of uh this is who I am. People People shit all over Conan the Destroyer. I do prefer. I do prefer Conan the Destroyer. Bro, I'm so glad to hear you say that. I was just telling Casey the other day, uh, like, yeah, you should at least give Destroyer a chance, though, because, like, I actually think the first movie's the better movie. But it I is. would much rather watch Destroyer. That's, I just it's this, exactly. It's got the crazy mirror monster. Sure. It's got the little yep. Asian uh, mystic. It's got Grace Jones going Jones, that's shit crazy. Say. Just watch it for Grace Jones. Grace Jones steals every scene she's in. She's fucking cr- insane. Sarah uh, Douglas is the villain from uh, uh, Ursa from Superman 2. W- fucking Will Chamberlain. Um, I hate that dude, but okay. Uh, anyway, yeah. I, but Andre the Giant's in it, even though nobody ever right. knew it was Andre the Giant. Um, uh, I love it. It is it is to me. So it's like Rocky 2 is Conan and Rocky 4 is Conan Destroyer. Destroyer. <laughs> you know, it's. Uh, I think time will movie. be time will be kinder to fun. the Destroyer. I think. Uh, but the other thing I mentioned to him, and I, I, uh, I don't know if this is blasphemous to say or not, but it is also a 1982 movie. If given the option, rather than Conan the Barbarian, the first one, I would rather watch Beastmaster. Okay, you are my dude. This is why I love this podcast. <laughs> I said already. And now that I've seen both, I, I would as well. <laughs> Sword and Sorcery is my jam. I love Sword and Sorcery. Beastmaster has been so. First off, if you, I, 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 I know Casey did that new transfer or whatever you want the to vinegar, call it. Yeah, the that vinegar 4K syndrome. Is awesome. The most. Because I, I, it was always so. Mer- Anyways, look. It's the most beautiful the movies ever looked, and they're even apologizing on the disc that they couldn't find the original elements. Yep. And Don Coscarelli, I remember he was tweeting about, like, does anybody know where my yep. movie Beastmaster is? Uh, so they really tried to find it, but they put together, yeah. A, it's so beautiful, it so and the good. extras are great, and the packaging is great. Trying to get all that, the details on that fake nose that Rip Torn wears. <laughs> exactly! But, that's a, but that, there's so much charm in it, but it's, it's, it's actually kind of scary it's kind of intense it's violent um it's the character designs are so weird and original I, i've it's got two I've, weasels as characters characters exactly i, I, I was so <laughs> upset when one of them gets hurt that, like yeah 
Oh, I, one of the most upsetting moments of 1982 for me. Dude, I when I was rewatching it like three or four months ago, I literally was having the exact same. I yes, uh, but yeah, it's it's it, it's criminally under. The one thing that I will say is that it was the fucking. I don't think I don't think a movie in my childhood was on TV more often than the Beastmaster. <laughs> yeah, whether it was HBO or a, a the very neutered, terrible version that was on like KCOP or Channel Thirteen or Channel Five. Well, you but know, it was on all the time. The funniest thing that Billy Crystal has ever said, and I like Billy Crystal. I like ish Billy Crystal. Yeah, um, same, same. <laughs> but I remember, uh, I don't know if it was on Stand Up or if it was on Carson or what, but I remember him talking about HBO back when HBO was still a new thing. <laughs> I know where you're going with said, it. Yeah, he said HBO, which stands for, hey, Beastmaster's on. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> It was on so much, <laughs> but and that's the thing is it, it was on people always kind of shat all over it. Um, that you know, and I even like I like the sequel and I like the TV series too. But uh, I never saw I, the series. I definitely saw the sequel and I was not. I mean, the, the TV I waited, series is. Good, I waited so some... long. I waited ten years for the sequel to Beastmaster, and when you are you know under the age of fifteen, ten years is literally forever. Yeah. And I was very disappointed. <laughs> yeah, it's I, I never enjoy when any they take elements from a like a fantasy world and then like, hey, let's bring them to the modern world. Like, no, that never works. And then at one point they drive past the Chinese and Beastmasters playing, it's playing. and it's like, oh, hey, look. Um, <laughs> but but weirdly, I think Mark Singer looked better in that movie. I think he looks like more. At, I mean. He's a I, weird I, dude too. He's like, a weird. He's got such a like sweet, pretty face uh, to have that body. Um, and well, he I, never stopped training for the sequel, and unfortunately, the sequel was ten years later. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> also, but I've you... read Coscarelli's book though, and uh, Mark Singer does not seem like a good hang. Uh, he was a bit of a bully on that set, apparently. Yeah. Right. Yeah, uh, but I mean, but we're, we're talking about a set with Rip Torn on it, and Mark Singer's known as the bully, so that's gotta say something. I mean, do you have like if you watch anything he's in though, do you have a problem? Like, I totally see that. Like, he kind of seems like an asshole. I, I guess just it it was a long period of time between when I had last seen it and when that vinegar syndrome disc came out last year, and that was the next time I saw Beastmaster. So I guess I just always still saw him as like the heroic, you know. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, and, I, I and, and comparing him so, to like you know, there was nobody else to compare him to in 1982 than Arnold Schwarzenegger or yeah. whoever was the lead of Sword and the Sorcerer. You know, um, yeah, exactly. I love that exactly because I like I was we were talking about it, but exactly a, whoever was the lead. In the <laughs> this is a good year for Sword and Sandal, but uh, yeah, that I, was like the that was like number eleven in the summer, which is. Which blows my mind. I don't ever remember it being popular. <laughs> but real quick, before we move on from Beastmaster, because there's a few more in the time. Uh, Tanya Roberts, man. God. Damn. Oh, yeah. Um, R.I.P. God damn. And also R.I.P. Yeah. Tanya Roberts yeah. was great. Uh, yeah. she was, very she memorable. Was, yes. Thank you. Exactly. Um, there's, I, uh, a, there's a podcast called um, The Canon Canon that we've talked about. Yes. A couple of times on this show, they cover canon movies. And occasionally, uh, one of the co-hosts on that, uh, when because they're talking about movies from their childhood, too, uh, he'll 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 call it out as, oh, yeah, she gave me phantom tingles, which is, <laughs> you know, the, the feeling that you had when you were a kid where you had a crush, but you didn't really have crushes yet. Yeah, exactly. You um, just see the awakening something new. In you. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, Tanya Roberts could maybe uh, 
it, maybe there were some phantom tingles there. Oh yeah, <laughs> or straight up boners. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, to put a, a blunt point on it, um, real quick. Uh, I feel like before we wrap this up, uh, Secret of Nim, very interesting cartoon. Also frightening for kids. Yes, absolutely. But, which is but very I, well done. Like very. Yeah, well I, I loved it as a kid. I haven't watched it in years. It put Bluth in the running. Don Bluth, like yeah. that that period. Like nobody outside of Disney uh, until DreamWorks. But I don't think of it as the same because same I, be, because Bluth was kind of like a one man powerhouse, and I know yeah. he wasn't doing it all alone. But he was the first person in my mind that ever gave Disney a run for the money because between, you know, Secret of the Nim and and Land Before Time, I mean, this shit was like hugely po- American Tale, my God. I was going to say, I almost was at, what is, what, is, what is the first version of Five Will Goes West or whatever, but yeah, American <laughs> Tale. Yeah, which I mean, that that was a huge movie and I watched it in school and it was very heart-wrenching. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Secret of the Nim, great. Um, Last Unicorn came out this year too. If we're talking about animation, it's it? like heartbreaking. Well, I saw it on the list, so I, I don't know if maybe it was. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the box office mojo, so there's there's always the possibility that I'm talking about something that came out late '81 and had its primary it, box office in '82. That might also just not have been in like the like the version I'm looking at. It might not even. It might be okay. like number fifty-five or something. But uh, I'm not seeing it. But. Um, I want to talk about Grease too, surprisingly, for a quick second. I love that movie. Sure, um, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's uh... Michelle Pfeiffer, who looks completely 1982, didn't look like they tried it all to make her look like 1960. Whatever it was for, nope. maybe it was. But it's got your boy Maxwell Caulfield in it. Yes, it does. Um, Rex Manning, yes, <laughs> uh, who is so handsome, so goddamn handsome. He's gorgeous. He's... Yeah, he, it's distracting when you watch the movie. Like you are way too handsome and buff <laughs> to be playing this weird nerd that I'm supposed to believe. Like, uh, but yeah, it's it's a dumb movie, but I I actually really like it. I literally rewatch it constantly. But my, I don't think they're stupid musicals. My biggest memory of Grease too, I it, I swear I've only seen it like once, is the fact that our old screenplay teacher his i had because I, I, I took the class i'd never forget this anytime i, I hear about grease 2 is he said the only musical he liked was grease 2 because it was the only one where the songs actually perpetuated the story and it wasn't like where everyone stopped to sing a song and then the story went on after like that was his reasoning and i was like oh that's kind of fascinating but yeah, no, I still don't want to watch this movie. <laughs> I love it. I, there's a oh, there's Philip a... Brugolette, if you were out there anywhere, uh, come and talk to your former students. We want yeah, to have man. you on this show. Come beyond the and, yeah, exactly. And tell us, uh, defend for us your thoughts on Greece too, because you may find a sympathetic audience here, but I don't think it's. You know, <laughs> I don't think I'm it's not... good, but I enjoy it. But I'm also I... not the best person to talk anything Greece because I kind of have a clockwork orange relationship with the first one. <laughs> Because I worked at Suncoast Motion Picture Company when oh, yeah, that Anniversary VHS came out in 97 or whatever, mm-hmm. or 98. And from the headwigs of the company, they're like, play Grease every other movie for like, it was like a week or two. And so I used to like Grease, <laughs> but they literally like, now it's like when fucking Malcolm McDowell hears Beethoven, I'm just like, oh Jesus, no, I can't. <laughs> You're just like, but what about the one totally that valid. I want? <laughs> yeah. See, I the thing is, like, I grew up with my mom loved it. We all watched it. We had the VHS, but she'd also play the soundtrack constantly. So, like, just one or two. 
one. One. But uh, but I also love two. I, that wasn't a movie I saw until I was probably in my late teens, early twenties. I didn't I, even know. I grew it up with for both Greases. Yeah, I that was those were <laughs> a, probably another HBO thing for me because I can't say that my parents were big grease heads or anything. No, I saw yeah. Grease. I, got, I saw Grease too, like in my twenties, like for the first time. No, I I definitely remember HBO playing Grease too, and I can't remember most of the movie. I remember there's a reference to a Superman comic book, and in my head at that age. That just stuck into my head because I'm like, oh, Superman comic book. I like this movie because they talk about Superman. <laughs> um, but I, I have seen it since and I don't remember a lot. I just remember that it kind of, it was on the edge of so bad it's good, but maybe not quite. I feel like, uh, yeah, I'm probably not, the, I'm, you know, I'm I'm the target audience for some of these movies and I probably have a skewed uh, opinion. But uh, real quick before we wrap this up, um, some notable, first off, we never talked about uh, the Road Warrior. Which I was gonna say, I'm yeah, like, before we wrap up, say, we gotta talk about Road Warrior. Yeah, that, I was just thinking the same thing. Like, like if we gotta end on something, let's let's uh, let's end on this biggie. Sounds good. Let's right. Let's do it now. Um, it's interesting because for I think the majority of my childhood, I thought Mad Max was the uh, or that the Road Warrior was the first film. I only remember the Road Warrior. I mean, um. Mad Max is wait. Oh wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. I am getting my things confused here. The Road Warrior is the sequel. Um, I was thinking Mad Max came out first uh, in '82. Obviously, The Road Warrior. Uh, again, I like sword and sorcery movies. I also fucking love post-apocalyptic, like the all the Italian shitty straight to VHS fucking post-apocalyptic movies. Uh, you know, 1999. Uh, all of the the uh, Hands of Steel, all of the shitty Italian post-apocalyptic movies. I own them. Like it's just a weird genre I love. Cyborg. But God, but goddamn, again, where Blade Runner created the aesthetic for you know cyberpunk and basically the aesthetic for science fiction movies to come for the next forty years. Road Warrior created that post apocalypse. I mean, it influenced yeah. everything. And yeah, uh, it really did. And it's still a great movie. It's still a very tense. Uh, 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 still just an awesome action movie regardless of the setting and like I mean there's so much that's great about it but I mean I think that's the core thing that it boils down to like as far as its success was that you know despite all the crazy like you know visual flourishes that like Miller incorporated into it like it's just a badass action movie and like it's just fun to watch it's probably the best card car chase sequence although that could have been taken over by george miller again you know in fury road, <laughs> in fury yep. road. yeah it's, it's 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 one of those movies that i remember being terrified from it when the first saw it. i didn't see it in 1982 i probably didn't see it until maybe 84 85 but it's legitimately terrifying that concept is terrifying and when you see like you know dudes with mohawks and war paint on and like vernon wells is still an image in my head man and always you should yep. try to get and, him to come on the show. I bet he'd do the show. I mean, you know, he's only in two of the greatest movies ever made. Um, but yeah, it's a great and he's movie. he's in inner space. Is he? He's yeah. the cowboy. Is he really? No, I, I, no, Picardo's the cowboy. He's the, oh, that's right, the that's silent right. dude that, with like the moat with the flat top or whatever. Oh, you're right, like, you're right, you're right, you're right, yes. I haven't seen inner space in probably 20 years. So. It's been oh, a while. Inner, inner space oh. is so good. <laughs> I, I think I, probably I, the last time I saw it, no lie, was probably with you, Casey, probably in your bedroom. Probably. <laughs> That's still one of Dennis Quaid's best, if you ask me, and Martin yeah. Short, for that matter. 
there is one um if you guys still have more to say about Roadrunner, but there is one more thing I wanted to bring up about another movie real quick. But sure. Um, I, I mean, we touched upon it just briefly earlier, but I truth be told, out of all the things that were released this summer, it's probably the one thing that I still collect avidly and like I still can watch a lot and I still like defend to this day, even though it got kind of a shitty reception upon release, is Tron. Yeah. I mean, and also I guess you kind of gotta bring up regarding this summer too, is probably Sid Mead. I mean, he was like he was like the the visual consultant on Tron and Blade Runner. Oh, that's right, yeah. And I mean, like, and like, just his work in his you know career, you know, stuff like really influenced these movies. And these movies, hands down, influenced tons of movies after their their release as well. And so, um, yeah, Sid Mead, <laughs> big 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 uh big proponent of why the Summer of '82 is great, but Tron. Tron, like, I mean, it's not the best movie that was released that summer, but I think just visually and like the the world it created and stuff, it was just so fascinating to me for whatever reason. Maybe because I was big into video games or something at that point. And it was also way ahead of its time. It was it was actually probably yeah. honestly like three or four years too early. Like it was just had it come yeah, out because... a little bit later, I think it would have had more of an impact. And and it is weird to me that it's not like Star Trek Two takes the distinction of the first computer graphics. Yeah, the same year that Tron comes out, uh, right. which is what I would always think of as. I'm not even sure if they use computer graphics for yeah. Tron. It's just that's. So there's actually a great documentary. Um, I think it's all uh, hand drawn, isn't it? So the company that did it, the company that did all the effects, they um, they literally were doing like. So you know what the same company did? Animal Olympics. Do you remember Animal <laughs> Olympics? I do remember Animal yep. Olympics. Yeah, so it's the same company. Um, but they were really trying to do forward. Thi- they were originally like an art. They were trying to do like art. They were doing like video art and installation art. But they wanted to. They weren't making money, so they started this video company to like do the commercial end, so that they could fund their interesting films and stuff they wanted to do. Um, but yeah, it was all from my understanding. It was all done practically with um, black light, like the lighting of it. And it I mean, I'm. I mean, you can see the backstage foot. Like, they're not on green screens. They're in black, a black room wearing all white. Right, yeah. And it was all done with, like, lighting and camera, in-camera effects and stuff like that. And some, obviously, lots of post, you know, credit effects. But that, Yeah, they I built was, lights into the costumes. Yeah. Like, but that's just phenomenal. Like, yeah. like, just the whole idea of it. Again, aesthetically, there's nothing they, like They can make that look organic, in a sense, you know? Yeah. And um, what else was I going to say? Oh, uh not that I caught on to it as a kid, but as I watch it now, I am fascinated with the whole kind of like relationship between user and program as kind of like this, you know, allegory for religion and stuff like that. I, I, I do find that interesting now, even though as a kid, I'm just like, Oh, look at those light cycles and people are glowing, you know? Right. But, it is one of those things that has like a, a longer, a longer life than you would think. Cause when you see it as an adult, it, it, it means a little bit more. Um, David Warner's Master Control is <laughs> oh Sark, yeah, he's, um, he's frightening. Yeah, no, like I, I know people think that movie's bad, but like every time it's on, I can watch it, and I've seen it multiple times in uh, repertory screening. In fact, uh, saw it about a year or two ago at the Academy Muse- <clears throat> Academy Museum. Oh, I better look good there. And I still that, go the- to that theater. That theater is so like new and state of the art, and it just looked and sounded amazing. And, uh, I uh, a few years ago at Comic Con, uh, Casey, you probably were there. Um, but they had a. This was before the. I think it was the summer before the sequel. 
Um, but they had a Flynn's arcade set up in downtown uh, oh, San nice Diego. Time. No, you gave me a token from that. I didn't. Okay. Know. Yeah. Yeah, because I was gonna say I got a, a bet. They were giving out T-shirts, which I'm sad I didn't get a T-shirt that had was said Flynn's Arcade. Although I'm sure I could buy it from Redbubble today if I wanted a yeah, shirt. Yeah. But but I got a like a little plastic. Remember the little like they look like frog mouths. So it's like a little plastic coin thing that you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flynn's Arcade one with with tokens with Flynn's Arcade tokens, and I just That's remember me like this is a, the coolest thing I've probably <laughs> ever gotten for free at Comic Con. Um, so unique, but uh, yeah, it's it's, it's I rem I literally remember being a kid and remember I think as I said like. My family, we all got drugged and see it. None of, outside of my my cousin Tommy and, you know, I don't know, maybe, I don't remember. I just remember loving the toys. It's all I remember. Things yeah. like but my parents and my my uh, aunt and uncle were just, that was the worst piece of shit movie I've ever seen. And that was bed in my head. For no, because it, it, <laughs> it caused people to think like way more than it should have, yeah. like that they were expecting. You know, they they came in expecting like this video game spectacle. And I mean, it was that to an extent but yeah it's just it's bringing up some like really interesting like st like themes and stuff that were a little bit smarter <laughs> yeah and the like, thing is too yeah. like i th i think that we were a little too young because i think we were if, if four or five or however old yeah when it first came out we we knew about video games there were a certain segment of, of guys probably you know 12 13 and maybe even into their 20s who were really excited about this new video game home boom probably had the coleco visions and shit who thought like this is the coolest thing I've ever seen, but they're such a small segment of the podcast right, at yeah. that time. So, but a fascinating movie and very, very, uh, like I said, very, very ahead of its time. Yeah. Um, and and you know, it's a franchise that I think still has a lot of appreciation, and maybe we might see more stuff from it. Yeah, we might still see more sequels to that. That's that's still being talked about. Yeah. Um, and again, before we go, I I I think I might personally feel a little let down if we talk more about Megaforce than Night Shift. Uh, but that's because <laughs> I love Night Shift, and that was something that uh, even as a kid to me, I'm like, whoa, that's that's the Fonz, yeah. you know, uh, which I'm sure a lot of people were thinking at the time. Um, I didn't understand a lot of the concepts of Night Shift the first time yeah. I saw it. Yeah, uh, it, it got dull. better when I was in my 20s and I saw it again, like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I wonder if it's any good. Um, Ron Howard, early uh, directorial effort on his behalf. Um, but also kind of gifted the world Michael Keaton, who would become yeah. an important player in our summers as time went on, too. Oh, yeah. But by the next year, he was uh, in Mr. Mom. Yeah. But, but yeah, I'll, I'll never forget his character in Night Shift uh, or the, the dynamic between those two characters. Two characters, yeah. Shelley Long's good, too. But, you know, Shelley Long, to me, is not the reason to see it. Shelley Long, like, it's it belongs to Michael Keaton and Henry Winkler. And Keaton was so new and and his character's so obnoxious but it somehow works uh but his whole thing of it you're gonna let you, you let me down you let your girl down you let down the girl scouts of america america, america? <laughs> <laughs> and i still get corrected by my wife who is a uh, girl scout my stepdaughter who is currently a girl scout uh for making comments about the Girl Scouts of America. It's like, no, no, no. It's the Boy Scouts of America. The Girl Scouts are just the Girl Scouts. I'm like, don't correct me. I'm Michael Keaton in here. <laughs> <laughs> See the movie. You'll get it. <laughs> I, I also love that, like, we're not going to mention it because I don't think I've ever even seen the movie, but the best picture of 1982 was released in the summer, and that's Chariots of Fire. I couldn't <laughs> care less. I tried I never it. saw that movie, and everybody I know that, like, has seen it, they're like, I don't remember that shit. I remember it being boring. What a fucking wipe out of the Oscars, man. I mean, I'm 
was E.T. even nominated? I'm not even saying E.T. was the best movie, but it was it's the one everyone remembers. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it was nominated for Best Picture or not. I mean, it had I do not think so. Yeah. I mean, Spielberg might have had a director nomination. I can't remember. Maybe. He didn't get one for Jaws, but... Yeah. Yeah, who do no officer and a gentleman talk? Are we all <laughs> officer and a gentleman? Uh I can't stand Deborah Winger. I think I've said this before on this show. I, I, like, <laughs> I like Deborah Winger under certain circumstances, but she's she I, miss. Did, she just played that certain type of like victim character, like just too much in like her popular movies like this and Urban Cowboy. And she's the ultimate victim. Like ter- watch- terms of endearment. Like I yeah. just we watched like, Urban Cowboy again, not long ago in my house because i re- had remembered it as being more of a romantic movie and um no, it, no. It is, <laughs> but, I, but i do actually have thoughts on urban cowboy as being relevant because i don't think it's relevant the way that it was made i think it should be completely reevaluated as a portrait of abuse yeah uh, it is uh it's more important now than it was when it came out in 1980 because it really displays like what she doesn't like the guy that's hitting her so she's going to go back to the guy that hit her less uh it's really like i I was so embarrassed watching it with my stepdaughter because i'm like oh yeah i remember this movie was kind of funny and they write a bowl and like she's like why are we watching this and i'm like you're right you're absolutely right but i want you to watch this because i want you to see like what used to be okay and to understand and appreciate how much how much how far we've come yeah since that time uh because it's she acts like she's given the choice between between two assholes and that there's just no other choice in the world like like they're she could leave town uh <laughs> but but it's it's that a lot like it's it's not a character flaw that she does that because it's actually much closer to what the reality of that scenario would be which is that she would feel like the choice was between right it's not worse the, it's and not worser the- it's not that I didn't find her performances genuine. I just, for yeah. whatever reason, like her as an actress, I just, it just annoyed me for some reason. I don't know why. Um, but uh, the only, other, the only other thing I want to give a shout out to this summer is something I discovered late in life. And that's the world according to Garp. Yes. That's a fantastic movie. Um, probably the first time Robin Williams tried drama, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, but you're right. But yeah, really, really interesting movie. Uh, John Lithgow plays like a cross-dressing person, which is like one of the early times I remember seeing that in a film. It was the first um, time for me too. It yeah. took me a while. Like I had seen other John Lithgow movies by the time I realized that was John Lithgow that I had seen in art. But yeah, really, really interesting, really cool movie that I think was kind of a little ahead of its time. I agree. That's an underrated one. And if you're a fan of Robin Williams, I mean, it starts there. Like his as much as I love Popeye, as big of an important movie as Popeye is to me, and I consider that very important in Williams' career as well, but it's really the one-two punch of Popeye and, and The World According to Garp that shows his range, yeah. uh, aside from what he was doing as Mork on TV at the time, uh, which was just showing how crazy he could be. Yeah. Uh, these other two films were showing how well he could perform outside of like the stand-up uh, or, the zane. or performance art sort of sort of way there's nothing wonderfully remarkable about mork outside of that he's a he's a funny written character but he's not there wasn't meat enough there like i'm not saying anybody could have played him i think robin williams was specifically perfect to play him um but you don't see the chops there and i think you see the chops in popeye and garp 
my my weird sort of non comedy non summer movie would be Death Trap with uh, Michael Caine and Christopher Reeve, directed by Sidney Lumet. If people ever get a chance, that's a lot of fun. That was the I'll, when I was going through, I I did not plan. I was like, no, I'm not going to try to rewatch anything. But looking at, it, I was like, shit, I should watch this movie. Sounds interesting, and I've never seen it. So, well, let's do uh, a Lumet or a Michael Caine or a Christopher Reeve sometime to give you a, a reason to watch that's- Death Trap because that's a masterpiece it's one of ben adams favorite movies too that's how i discovered of it. course it is first off it's yeah oh it's got michael kane michael kane yeah. yeah but uh yeah death trap really good um and and the rest of the year just to close this out uh just to give some shout outs to stuff that we didn't mention because it didn't come out in the summer but indicates how just fucking great this year was you've got uh first blood you've got tootsie uh, you've got 48 Hours, you've got Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, you've got Creep Show. Uh, yeah. I think The Verdict with Paul Newman comes out this year, if I'm not mistaken. Death Wish 2, Honky Tonk Man with uh, Clint Eastwood, which I actually really like. Uh, Pennies from Heaven, which is one of the most bizarre movies ever made, and I would love to have more of an opportunity to talk about. We also didn't talk about uh, uh, Dead Man Don't Wear a Plan. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. it, just, it feels like a we along the same lines. We, um, we've talked about that one on our on our Reiner episode, yeah. but yes, definitely deserving a mention here. Um, Barbarossa, which is like actually a more than capable Western starring Willie Nelson and Gary Busey. Uh, Cat People, the Paul Schrader Cat People came out in 82. Yep. It came from Hollywood, which was like this weird clip movie with fucking Dan Aykroyd, John Candy. I am obsessed with it came from Hollywood. It, it's a love Chichin letter Chong to- were in it. Yep, and uh, basically the entire cast of uh, uh, SCTV. But yeah, it's a love letter to uh, like drive-in movies and and goofy movies from the fifties and uh, uh, all the like, basically all the movie re- basically. Yeah. But and it's fucking amazing. I was obsessed. Gilda with it. Radner. Yep, like I said, the entire cast of uh, like SNL early and SNL. SNL and, yeah, yeah, it's 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 so great. Fucking anything with John Candy, is, uh, I'll watch. But uh, I was I've been obsessed with actually. I re I found a version of it streaming on youtube but it for i think for some reason it really is missing like the last like five minutes or whatever but i love it i i i've been i've been hoping somebody could re-release it but i'm sure there's probably it was supposed to come out on dvd about 15 years ago and they actually pressed it and some of them escaped um so you can find super rare unreleased dvds of it but because it's a clip movie it's a, it's, it's a rights nightmare but so the thing is half those movies to, have to now be in the public domain like a lot of them are but they go after like creature from the black lagoons in there that's true. like and i that's believe true. i believe paramount produced the movie it's got footage from universal monsters which they're very protective of yeah. um i i don't know if we will that's ever see point. a release if it came from hollywood but uh i hope so i think i got it on vhs i like 15 years ago i think i actually bought it on ebay on vhs but i don't i don't i don't have any of that stuff hooked up anymore um, that 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 was so formative to me and again i think it was, it was either on hbo all the time or maybe, all the maybe, time but that it was, was so formative soon and terror in the aisles terror in the aisles yep terror in the aisles i i hold on to my halloween 2 blu-ray that uh i've blown past twice now with the box set and the 4k yeah uh but I hold on to my original Halloween 2 Blu-ray because it has Terror in the Aisles as a yeah. special feature. Yep. 
I had it. I had that for the same reason too. But then Shout Factory put Terror in the Isles out on its own, and I think it had like a little bit more as far as like special features goes. And so I'm like, all right, I'll get probably it. looks better too. I I haven't justified the because it's been a long time since I've watched Terror in the Isles, even as a special feature. I I couldn't quite justify the repurchase. Yeah, but no, I, I was def I I was definitely like wrestling with him. Like, do I really need to rebuy? It? <laughs> but, <laughs> but had it been it came from Hollywood, I would have rebought it in a second. <laughs> um, I think Modern Problems came out in '82, which is a bad Chevy Chase movie, but a great Dabney Coleman movie. <laughs> um, Roots, <laughs> Roots, the book, not that TV, TV horseshit. Horse Mr. Martin Scorsese. Uh, <laughs> I'm not afraid. Uh, yeah, Dabney Coleman, uh, <laughs> uh, classic turn in Modern Problems, whereas uh, Chevy Chase was going through some shit. Yeah, uh, that was the start of him going through shit. Actually, I, I think this podcast is officially on record as being completely pro Danny Coleman. I think it's yes, yes, as it should be. We celebrate his work. Uh, you know, let's let's uh, let's have a whole full scale uh, nine to five celebration because somehow by miracle, almost everybody in that movie is still alive. And, That's true. Uh, th there should be some sort of a celebration for that. I, mean, I can't believe. I mean, Lily Tomlin well, it's funny and Jane Fonda watched keep it working like together. Again the other night too. But why can't they get Dolly Parton in on the act? They they do a lot together now, Tomlin and Fonda. But yeah, and and, and I'm, sh I'm absolutely positive they don't disapprove of Parton's politics. No, exactly. Um, Dabney Coleman's long in the tooth, but he might still be available for something. And really, you would only need his character to pop up once. Uh, literally I'd the only helpful. person I can think of that's not around anymore is Sterling Hayden and he's only in the end of the movie as the big boss this, yeah. but uh, but yeah 9 to 5 is great <laughs> uh, I also really love uh, Short Time also with Danny Coleman yeah that's a really weird and it's out of print it's, movie. I don't think they've put it on disc or put it out since VHS either no somebody did because I, I haven't picked it up yet but I noticed somebody did I think it might be Shout Factory I'd have to double check that. Oh, really? Somebody's put out short time. Um, Dabney Coleman and Matt Frewer having chemistry. Who knew? Oh, and, man, that movie's so funny. And I think his character's name is Bart Simpson in that. I think uh, it, yes, is. it is. It is. <laughs> so um, I don't see I, uh, I Everything I'm seeing is, I'm not seeing a DVD for it or Blu-ray. Blu I yeah, man, I don't... somebody did. But maybe there's, you can buy it from Japan and uh, Korea. Maybe, maybe that's what I saw. Or maybe it was like it it came from Hollywood where it was planned and then got pulled at the last minute. But Oh, yeah. wait, actually 1990, it was released in 1990 on DVD, but okay. That's not no. what I was thinking of. In no, my head, but wait, DVD, DVD started in 97. The movie came out in 19. Oh yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> Good catch. That went right over me. Yeah. Let me see when it, it doesn't say, but I mean, it's the box art doesn't, uh, doesn't scream a new release. Um, yeah. I wouldn't think it would. I would think it would be like one of the, uh, oh, what's the company that the, the Vestron releases? Man, dude, like I, it's funny. I haven't thought about that movie forever. But it's like, goddamn, now I want to rewatch it too. Oh, it's so it's funny. A, such man. a, it was such a move. Like a, I remember that movie very fondly from when. Oh my um, god, that movie cracked me up relentlessly as a kid. Dude, we're we're gonna have a Dabney Coleman uh, revival ourselves. I used to have a big person. thing for Terry Gar. Yeah, he was very cute. I think specifically from Mr. Mom. Well, I mean, Mr. Mom, she's great. I love that movie, but I think she was Young Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein is where it came from. <laughs> That's where it started. Anyways, 
but she was always the put upon mom uh yeah. you know there was because she she does it in um oh god and uh close encounters as well but uh anyways uh that's that's the summer of 82 uh in a nutshell i know we've big year a big and huge influencing year as far as cinema goes and yeah if for whatever reason there's some of those movies that we brought up that you haven't seen definitely check them out yeah i when when we first went into this i mean it, i wasn't even thinking about how influential 82 was until i looked at the list and that this happens often during the podcast you know we look back and we're like oh my god you know how, how are we going to do all of 1980 in one episode how are we going to do all of you know 1974 we ended up doing two episodes for that we did three episodes for 89 i i didn't want to repeat that same thing i that, which is why i suggested we try to just do the summer of 82 and get it in one episode um but i guarantee you that like future generations are not going to be doing this and going i was so surprised by how many movies came out in 05 that are just inspirational i don't i just don't think it's going to happen probably then, because there's probably a reboot or a sequel of the movies we talked about that's going to be released in the next two years and that's yeah. the that's the thing with hollywood now is like if they're going to spend the money on the spectacle they're going to spend it on an ip that they already know that has a shot of making money is more so than investing in a new property exactly and not not to to play devil's advocate as far as like you know nostalgia bias but I agree with you 100% because 1000%. I mean, people remember like the Marvel, like the big Marvel films stuff, but I think what our generation, this generation has is what they will remember is television. Yeah. They'll remember the the big, and the, you know, back in the day, you really had the movies or you had TV, you know, the, the, the big networks with, I mean, with 4,000 streaming channels, everything having originals, movies being released in stream. Like it's, it's so hard these days, but I think there's also a lot of like hidden gems that come out every year that people are great, but people don't pay attention to. But I think we are now in an era of amazing television as opposed to amazing films. But yeah, uh, but yeah. The, di- the dynamics have changed for sure. Um, that being said, like the past couple of years, as far as film goes, I was kind of getting dated, like movies, good movies came out, but I was just kind of like, I'm not as excited about as much stuff as I used to be. Yep. And then, um, but thankfully, recently, I've seen a couple of things where I'm like, okay, it might be okay. Like, every everything everywhere all at once is one that comes to mind where I was just like, this is pretty, like, unique and great. And then um, there's been some really good horror movies I've seen lately, too. Yeah, so. horror is in a renaissance right now. Uh, but And I will absolutely say that there has never been a year in film history that didn't produce masterpieces and and future classics and yeah uh innovative work uh and and stunning debuts these things all exist it's just not being seen and it's not being promoted and it's not like and a lot of it now is just not getting made for the reasons that you pointed out casey like there's just not marketability and originality anymore um yeah there's plenty of content on tv to where that could be you know, that could be given a voice, that could be given a platform. And it's hard to even justify, like, the originals, quote-unquote, the originals at this point. Like, the last movie I saw in the theater was Bullet Train, and one of the reasons I wanted to go see it was because it wasn't, specifically wasn't a sequel. But it's not like I can watch Bullet Train and go, what an original movie, what a, like... Yeah. I was happy with it. I would actually recommend people see Bullet Train, especially if you're a fan of like late 90s action because it's got that vibe. Yeah. 
and I'm fine with vibes. I work in vibes. Like what I write yeah. is always a vibe. Uh, it's always trying to recapture a tone of something that doesn't exist anymore. And Bullet Train uh, definitely does that. But I can't really point to it as like an original movie. Like I don't, it's not how it fits into my head, um, even though it is. So I, I think, uh, I, I don't know how to fix it. I don't know if it can be fixed or it should be fixed. Movies, I think the like spectacle movies nowadays, like even though if they're good, their derivative origins stand out more compared to like movies that are older that were more yeah. like you know there there's always been movies that are you know influenced by other movies and stuff but like and you could kind of see where they're coming but it was still unique enough to where it was its own thing where now it's just kind of like oh they basically took these five movies and made this movie yeah. <laughs> and it's like that's kind of the thing that i've noticed not that it's it's not that they're not bad or it's not that they're bad or not entertaining, but it's just more like, or maybe it's just because I'm older and I know that's I, I think about that same thing too. Like if I was seeing this through the eyes of enthusiasm, of you know, uh, without the knowing about film history and being jaded and all that stuff, like would it, would these things blow my mind? It's, right. That that's going to play a part. I do think though that like you know, um, uh, I was watching this. You know, I've I've considered like somebody like Robert Eggers doing really unique original things, um, and he does. But even with his films, which are very you know they stand out in today's uh, you know Marketing. film offerings, they, even they're the product of inspiration from previous source materials or whatever and stuff. Yeah. And like you can't not do that. You, for, there's no such thing as original anymore because everything's right. been done. But, but, but this um, was even being done in 82 when you think about it, though, because exactly. uh, this was uh, Spielberg and Lucas, all of their early work. You know, I mean, Indiana Jones is a mashup of all of those influences. Of all the serials. Star yeah. Wars yep. is like a mashup it's, of all the, you know, if, if Lucas Roger had gotten meets... the rights to Flash Gordon, we wouldn't have even have had a Star Wars. Because yeah. uh, yeah. it's it's the, you know, the inspiration for that. And then we came up, you know, we were young when Tarantino was original and those are like the most clear cut definition of this kind of a mashup. Yeah. Right. So, so the mashups have always existed once you had the film school generation making movies, Hitchcock wasn't doing a mashup. Uh, but at the same time, people forget that Hitchcock remade himself with a uh, man who knew too much. Right. Uh, Howard Hawks remade himself three times between Rio Bravo and El Dorado and Rio Lobo. Um, <laughs> You know, it's this has always existed. I just don't know what makes now different and feel like I think it's just it probably just is it probably just is is that time's caught up to us and like the stuff that we thought was original is now, you know, the stuff that's influencing new filmmakers and so it doesn't seem as original to us, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad though. It's no and and the thing is we we first off, we lived in the perfect time for pop culture because there was a confluence of all these different mediums and influences and ideas that really it was really like the perfect time for all of that to happen um there was like new technologies being created new uh even like you said like something like tron which was completely uh a gamble because it was like what are you doing what is this story it's a video game like how what does it look like films today are more there it's it's more commercial and more of a business than it ever has been so oh. you're not going to see a move, a big budget movie like a Tron in theaters anymore. But you might see a really bizarre, interesting Netflix original, or you know, like th- these things. Ex- th- those kind of in- 
innovations and chances are being taken just in different mediums and in different avenues. Just uh, distribution models have changed. Yeah, because there's just so many different distrib- there's two there's just too many platforms that you have the opportunity now where back in the day it was your your TV or the cinema and that was it. Yeah. But but I will say like you always look at independent cinema and horror to see really where the interesting shit's going to happen or, or where people are really getting to take chances. Um, because independent cinema has, you know, uh, small budgets and they have small avenues of, of distribution. Um, and horror is guaranteed to make a profit and again, made, you know, cheaply. So, and I think horror, you know, we can turn this whole episode into how awful modern audiences and fans are anyways, but specifically with like, if, a horror movie comes out now like uh, uh, Midsommar or one of these quote unquote elevated A, you know, A24. A24. Uh, A24. I was like blanking on the number. Uh, horror films come out. They do really well with certain audiences, but then people go, oh, it's that's not real horror. That's bullshit or uh, fake horror. And that's ridiculous. Like, and I, yeah. that bothers me. But we still have that. Like, we still have, like, I, I don't, I, I don't love Jordan Peele. I like, I was a fan of us. Uh, I was a fan of Nope. I liked the aesthetics of us, but I thought the fucking conceit was one of the dumbest conceits I've ever had for a movie. It just logistically makes no sense. But he's doing something. He has a very strong vision. He's doing something. And, you know, he's people are going to be interested in everything he does because he's going to constantly kind of pivot and, and change and try new things. And I I, I didn't love Nope. Um but I, I thought I thought it was one of the best looking movies I've seen in a long time. And I, I liked that he was doing something different. Um, I thought a lot of it was effective. I just thought some of it was, again, kind of just dumb, to be honest. Just a little like a, to taking kind of a big leap of logic that to assume that this is believable. But anyways, um, but we have somebody like Jordan Peele who's doing something new, who is, he's, you can't say, well, first of all, we haven't seen the black experience in this form. We haven't seen a, a black a- movie about, you know, aliens and stuff like It's just things change and things things will always remain the same but things will still change and adapt and we'll see we might see the same story but take, take it from a different perspective and i appreciate that but with that yeah, said same I, I can't think of a of any movie recently that has given us a blade runner and a road warrior and a fucking tron and a i mean there's just that's just so much innovation and so much epicness all in one year it's, it's just crazy yeah. it's really what i'm trying to get super, super long <laughs> Well, I, I absolutely agree. I I think cinema is in an interesting place. Uh, we just got to keep doing podcasts so that we can keep um, bringing some exposure to some of these. Uh, sure. we'll, we'll do some more new movies as we go on. Because I think that's, at the end of the day, that's the main thing. Like I said, there's there's masterpieces of every year. There's there's good films all the time. They just aren't getting the, the exposure because advertising costs too much. And then they yep. get lost in the shuffle because what's going to save us is if we curate more, if, if, if Netflix doesn't have everything that it owns on all at once, uh, then suddenly, cause like right now, if I made a movie right now, it would be in competition with jaws. It would be in competition with Casablanca. It would yeah. be in, in anything that could possibly be streaming right now, instead of just the five or six movies that might be coming out that week in the theater you're competing with all movies. So if things can be curated more, which I think they're going to start to be, because it's going to start to be the, the more financially sensical decision for a streaming company. I think once things get curated and there's like fewer things to choose from, we will start to see these options rise to the top a little bit more. And we will see people start to take a, a 
shot in the dark or, or, or put their financial belief behind something enough to give it that spotlight uh, without having all the noise around it. Uh, but I, I think that's kind of where we're heading. Basically, we just want someone to make the the new short time. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yes. Uh, well, we, that would require us having a new Gabby Coleman. I mean, there will never be another. Yeah, Gabby hard, Coleman. hard, hard. To, that's a tall order. Yep. The dab, they, they broke the mold on the dab. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but on that note, it's always wonderful to talk to you guys. Uh, I hope our audience enjoys it as much as I do. Uh, for all of our reminiscing and all of our in-jokes and everything. Yeah. I hope people like listening to these old friends. You now have a very good chance of uh, feeling what it feels like to go to the coffee shop with us at this point, um, which is something that we did a lot in the 90s. Um, <laughs> but I, I am so excited every time we get Casey out. And um, Same. It's always a pleasure having him on. Hopefully Thank we can guys. get Casey to come out for another uh, trick or treat visit this year too. Yeah, say it. I, yeah, I'm time. in. We have to consider. I'm absolutely that. in. We we've got some plans. I think they're going to be fun. I don't want to spoil them yet. You you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, but I think we've got a, a topic that I I'm actually a little surprised we haven't done yet already that I think audiences are going to love. So uh, until we meet again, thank you guys again and. Uh, Goodbye to all the folks out there. Uh, happy summer for the last three days of summer, if you're listening to this in real time. Happy 40th anniversary, 82. Yes. <laughs> well put. Very well put. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right. Bye.